friends when you're talking about the World Heavyweight Championship. It's 2001! And it's a brand new era in World Championship Wrestling! The most significant thing that happened to me recently was this morning when I took Joey out for his early morning walk, which I haven't had to do for the last couple of weeks because I haven't been in work. So I've been able to do it a bit later, but today I had to do it quite early. So I got up and what I usually used to, well, what I usually do is I take a dump first thing in the morning, but I just forgot this morning. And then I had my breakfast because it's very dark at half six. So I have the breakfast first and then take Joey out. And I kind of, as I was leaving, I was like, I probably need a poo, to be honest. Um, but that's all right. I'm sure I'll be all right. I've probably got 40 minutes in me. So I went out. So I basically go around this big field and then a, a wood. And you sort of go in a like a roundabout way around both of them. You don't kind of just go in a straight line, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And I got to about the furthest away from my house I go on my whole circuit. It's about 20 minutes if I walk straight to, to, straight home. Yeah. And I was like, fucking hell, I really need a shit. <laughs> I need a shit so badly. My stomach was in, like, real pain. I was like, oh, my God, I need a poo. And then Joey decided to start having a poo himself. <laughs> and um, it was a bit runny, the first one. Then the next one, couldn't get it out because all it was was a solitary blade of grass that just wouldn't come Aww. out. The other thing I should say is that Joey doesn't stop when he has a poo. So he kind of kind of <laughs> crouches down as if to have a poo. But as he's doing it, he kind of waddles like forward. He can't <laughs> stay in one place. And when he's got this problem with his... I've had to pull out the grass before because he's done this before and it just... Yeah can take forever sometimes this time wasn't so bad but as he's doing it he's sort of very gradually shuffling along the the road so basically um he was just really slow doing a poo whilst i was desperate for a poo and i was like come on have your poo and let me go (laughs) it was almost a double poo disaster this morning so so when you went here did you have to pull some grass out your ass as well And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and we're very pleased that you could join us for yet another odyssey into the warped minds of our hosts, who are standing by, ready to fill your ears with their take on one of WWE's final ever pay-per-views, Sin. Those men joining me today are firstly, Old Man. Hello, sir. And also, we have Tom Smith. Hey, what up, slap nuts? <laughs> First uh, use of that word, which in one point in this show, Jeff Jarrett breaks out very nicely. And, yeah. Uh, one of my favourite parts of the show, actually. <laughs> oh, yes, if I say it's probably the greatest thing that Jeff Jarrett's ever done. Yeah. I, think, I don't think that's uh, you're going to get any argument from me either, to be honest. <laughs> and how are we doing today? We missed you last week, Tom. Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well, thank you. I mean, I don't know if you if you mentioned it on last week's show, the fact that I'm now a part-timer, I'm the, I'm the people that everyone moans about in the build-up to WrestleMania, just coming in. <laughs> You know, and trying to get his, trying to you know get his, get, get the best, the big payday, you know. But um, needs must 
at the moment and uh, hopefully oh, this might not be a permanent thing maybe I can be able to come back to a, a full-time member of the full-time roster at some point by the moment yeah I, I, I'm enjoying it and it, do you know what savoring it even more every every other week and you pulled the short straw this week because you landed on a WCW show which I know yeah. that you you're particularly excited about I'm sure do you know what mate the thing is there right I fucking I quite love a WCW show despite how crap they are I, I don't know why there's something about them that I just always get quite excited for it. And even though um, the show might not be very good, I'm still going to enjoy it because at least it's not something that I'm really familiar with. So there's always that. That's good. That's good. What we, what we are going to do, we're going to continue our little uh, topic of discussion before we get, in, get into the, uh, the show itself. And this week, I've got a, a bit of a prediction question for you both. Um, so I was going to say, what do you think the main event of this year's WrestleMania is going to be? But then I thought, that's quite a difficult question these days, especially as there's over two days and there's, you know, usually more than one main event. So I thought what I'd do is, have you got any guesses for any of the marquee matches at this year's WrestleMania? The silence says it all. That's clearly. <laughs> it, I, I, what I would say is I genuinely was thinking about it the other day and I was like, I don't know what they've got. I don't know. I can't think what they have got that seems to me like a WrestleMania worthy big match. I think Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. Well, that's happening at Rumble, isn't it? So. Oh. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was going to suggest as well. But as you said, they've they've put that for the Rumble already. All right, I'll go Road Warrior Hawk <laughs> against. Oh no, hang on, sorry. That's that's a very poor taste joke I almost made. So obviously Hawk is no longer with us. Uh, Road Warrior Animal against Matt Hardy's dad. Oh. I hate to do this to you, old man, but Animal's dead as well. Is he? Yeah, quite recently. Well, that's going to be an inappropriate matchup then. So we, if the, you know what, if we're going down that route, we'll have Animal versus Hawk. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. Um, if I could try and be serious for a moment, channel my inner Lance Storm. They could try and make someone at WrestleMania, which they don't tend to do anymore. Or they, they've never really, well, they've done it a couple of times. I mean, the, the clear one to think of is obviously Austin at WrestleMania 14 is the clear kind of like breakout moment of that, of that kind of getting him up to that main event or to that championship um, level. You could, they could potentially, I know Big E has already held the championship, but he, if he was to beat someone like Reigns, maybe that could be quite a, quite a big thing. But I, I think it'd still be too much of a, too rushed. Like the, the problem is that with the exception of maybe Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Outside of those two, I don't see any, I don't see any big draws there at all. I mean, you can might maybe throw Edge in there, but even then, you wouldn't think of it as a serious long-term thing because of his age, and he's basically doing programs with people that he wants to work with now, rather than you know him being the the big the main guy in the in the company. So I don't know what they can do really. I mean, they've had Roman Reigns versus Brock so many times that I can't see that being the main event or a big match at WrestleMania. I might be wrong, but it just doesn't feel significant to me they spaffed Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair which felt like a match that could have been a big match at Wrestlemania maybe Big E versus Brock a lot of people have been talking about the Big E um, losing the title in the way he was as some kind of insult and I guess it could be seen that way but unless they are trying to build him up for a rematch for that belt he's never lost it in the sing- in a singles match to Lesnar so they could have him win the Rumble and then go on to face Lesnar that would be something that I could see them trying to do in terms of what you were talking about about making someone and uh on your on the edge point so this is the this is the new thing i want to kind of bring up so basically this is our year anniversary of the show as well this, this episode comes out on happy anniversary and, lads <laughs> <laughs> um who's uh 
Who's sucking whose cock then? <laughs> well, well, why don't you suck mine and I'll suck Tom's and Tom's can suck yours. That oh seems fair. We're all <laughs> having an awful time. Uh, so, no, what I was going to say is on that show a year ago, I talked about the fact that Chris Jericho was, I felt kind of like, you know, over-regarded by the fan base and, and particularly by himself. But I think in some ways, the last year has shown me that actually there's a lot of value to Jericho and he's done a lot of good stuff and we've seen a lot of good matches. And um, even the thing that kind of made me think of it was Raven, the match against Raven they had at Halloween Havoc 98. And I was like, here he is against another different type of opposition in another different type of match. And it's really good. So I'm going to lay off Chris Jericho a little bit this year. Edge is my new target. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I just think, again, I just think he's massively over-regarded by people. I just, I don't think he's quite as good as people think he is. And I think maybe the thing that really set me off, and I know I'm about a year or two behind, is that match where they called it the greatest wrestling match ever, or whatever it was called, the greatest match ever. They probably didn't use the word wrestling, I'm sure. Um, and I'm just like, no, there's no way. <laughs> and they said that before the match even happened. I mean, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's the one who's going to come in for it this year, I'm afraid. Well, that whole match was just a marketing ploy that got out of hand, wasn't it? Because it was, I don't get me wrong, I thoroughly enjoyed the match, but I would have enjoyed it if it was just a match. A marketing ploy gone wrong, that's basically all of WWE's content, isn't it? I was going to say, I thought you were going to say that is Brexit for you. <laughs> um, what I don't understand, because I never watched it, I, I've never seen that match, and I'm aware of it, I was aware of it at the time, and thinking that's a very bizarre, you know, I mean, way to, to promote a match. Well, things old man, you would like it because you love a bit of Randy Orton as well, and you and you quite like a bit of Edge. You are a bit of an Edge guy, aren't you? I I am the original Edgehead, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Although I must say, I am kind of leaning towards Tinky's way of thinking, Tinky's thinking, if you will. Tinky's take. Yes, lovely. Yeah, perhaps we can make that a new weekly feature. <laughs> Byron facts of the week: the game Tinky's take. I've got some bad news for you, Tom. The game might not survive into this year. What? Well, we did. We the thing is because we're going to be like, especially in January, we're going to be so varied in terms of who we've got on the show that I it's just not going to work. So I'm I'm kind of saying that we're at least taking a break from it for a little while. Fine. Okay, I've already got I've already got a space filled in my head, a way to get you two battling against each other. Cool. For my approval. <laughs> I think I think for Tinky's take, we need something like uh, an Alan Partridge kind of. Tinky's take, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like that. So Edge is the one who's going to come in for um, stick for me this 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 year. So yeah, I don't know what they're going to do at WrestleMania. It's it feels like a, a year where they genuinely don't seem to have anything that I could. Usually I could go right. I've just got a list of names and I could think right that that would make sense. That would make sense. Put them together. There's a, there's a there's a show that you can build around those three or four matches. This year, no clue, no clue whatsoever. It's also enormously disinteresting because, like you said, they've kind of done everything. Like, obviously, they had day one on New Year's Day, and Roman Reigns missed that because he had COVID. And they had Lesnar win the main event that he got shoehorned into. Mm. It just seems like such a fucking mess. That was always going to happen, though, wasn't it? That's what they do with Lesnar, isn't it? Well, it, it kind of was because, obviously, they had to have him on the show because they could not, having advertised him, if it was someone else, they could have got away with it. But it seems like such a stupid thing. Has he not been in a programme with Sami Zayn? Or there's been some kind of involvement with Sami Zayn, hasn't there? So could they not just have them in a match? There's so many things you could do, apart from take the title off someone when you weren't going to do it maybe two days before. 
Stupid, isn't it? What a stupid company. Very, very strange. Very, yeah, very strange. I'll tell you what, do you know what? They're, they're fucking daft, aren't they? Daft, yeah. daft, daft little cunts in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Bunch of dafties. Yeah. Um, so uh, we at RWR Towers have just put up a couple of playlists that will continuously be updated on Spotify. The first is every episode we've ever done in chrono- chronological order of the event that took place. So this will find itself somewhere in the middle today. And the other one, one that also this episode will make it onto, is for all our NWA slash WCW reviews. They're in a nice little playlist on Spotify. If that's your bag and that's all you want to listen to, they'll be there. Where's the AWA fit into that? Well, we haven't got a playlist for them yet. Maybe we'll do a... Maybe we'll do a miscellaneous, which would include the AWA, ECW, and AEW, which we've done as well. Mm, perhaps we could have a miscellaneous for the worst shows as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I play this just for all the shittest shows. That would be yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Let's get to WCW Sin, shall we? Um, this is not the last pay-per-view that WCW ever did, like Old Man has erroneously said twice on this show in the past. It um, is. <laughs> but uh, what were our expectations going into this let's start with you tom well i've, I've actually i've decided to rename this segment boys oh um so what are your hopes and fears so my hopes for there will be some decent wrestling on the on the undercard that no one's going to care about um i'm hoping that we're going to get some disco Inferno and alex right and i'm hoping that the, in the main event the mystery partner is going to be sting because he's advertised on the poster <laughs> with the other three with the other with the other three combatants. My fears that there's gonna be some really bad finishes, some extremely out of puff wrestlers, and that Kevin Nash isn't gonna look like he's barely able to walk. <laughs> oh man. I'll start with the fears because I had a lot of fears. I'll be honest, I won't look forward to this, lads. This was I think this I was trying to think when I started watching it. I was like, this is the least I've looked forward to watching a show since ECW Living Dangerously. Wow. Yeah. And to be honest, probably worse than that. It's 2001 WCW. <laughs> this is the last pay-per-view they ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I wasn't looking forward to this. But on the plus side, what I was hoping for was some fantastically crap piped in music because this has been a little theme for all things that aren't wwe and i thought you know what at least we'll get a bit of that and also tommy's song with thunder i wanted a bit of alex Wright as well because i've been impressed with his in-ring work not quite as, as impressed as i've been with his when tom is demonstrating for us beautifully unlike those fucking cunts in the crowd who can never do it <laughs> i gotta be honest right I had no hopes for the show, not because I thought it was going to be dreadful, but because I knew exactly what happens at the end of the show. And so all I was going into this was fearful. There was nothing but fear. In fact, when we got to the main event, I was legitimately really nervous watching it, like really incredibly nervous. So I was kind of going into this thinking, I really don't actually want to watch this. I don't, I, you know, I hadn't thought about it when we put it on the schedule and thought, oh, this is that one. I'll put that on. I just picked it and then realized what it was and thought, oh, fuck, like I really am quite nervous about this. Like, if I was a listener, I'd be like, I just think he's so bloody scared. I'm sure it's not going to be a very good main event, but surely it's not terrible. And obviously, knowing what happens, I can understand. But I mean, like, was he bloody scared of a little tramp? 
<laughs> Get little out of things, you. Little Tramp is something I've been called many, many a time. <laughs> so as, as, as per our new kind of uh, little bit of a format, what we're going to do is we're each going to pick one big talking point that we've got from the show. Uh, and we'll sort of dwell on that for a bit and then we'll go through the rest of the show in order after that point um and i i will go first and we'll talk about that very thing that i was scared of because it has to be the talking point of the show uh really the whole main event has to be the talking point of the show but specifically the hideous injury that sid suffers um about six minutes into the a seven and a half minute match i must have been too busy writing my notes because i didn't even notice it this is a leg break yeah, this is really interesting because this is why I was so fearful, but also so relieved at the end because WWE Network, in their infinite wisdom, have cut all of the worst stuff out of this. So effectively, for those who don't know, this is a fatal four-way match. It is Scott Steiner versus Sid Vicious versus Jeff Jarrett versus a mystery opponent. And um, Jeff Jarrett and Scott Steiner are apparently kind of teaming together. They're kind of they are friends. They're an alliance. Um, but they are against, apparently, Ric Flair. Ric Flair is the CEO of WCW at this point, at least in storyline. Yes, Tom? Uh, Ric Flair also looks like he's the uh, lead singer of an offspring covers band. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the onspring. Oh, crap hair. <laughs> that is very true. Um, getting back to what we're talking about anyway. So, yes, uh, and Sid Vicious is kind of a baby face, and he faced Steiner in the main event of Starcade. Unbelievably, that was the main event of Starcade, Scott Steiner versus Sid. And effectively, what it seems to be setting up is the idea that Flair's got this mystery opponent that he's holding back, presumably to be the guy that will help Sid against Steiner and Jarrett. But he's also put Jarrett in this match to kind of sow some discontent, apparently between Steiner and Jarrett. Now, the match gets started. There's no sign of the mystery opponent. Ric Flair tells them to just get on with the match and he's going to unleash the mystery opponent at some point during the night. Basically, what is supposed to happen anyway is that Sid is basically going to get on top of both Steiner and Jarrett, beat them both down, and then be in a position to win. Then the mystery opponent was going to come out they were going to reveal themselves to be Road Warrior Animal and then Road Warrior Animal was supposedly going to turn on Sid and then Steiner was going to pin Sid and it was all going to then be exposed as a ruse that Ric Flair, Animal, Steiner and Jarrett, along with other people that had taken part in the show earlier in the show, were all together in one big kind of superstar stable, effectively. What happens instead is that Sid goes to the top rope, comes off the top rope and badly hideously breaks his leg absolutely hideously now i've never seen the footage i never want to see the footage and that's exactly why i was very nervous going in and as i said i'm very thankful that wwe network did not show the footage so what they've done quite clearly i'm just watching it again now because i didn't realize it because i thought it ended a bit abruptly Mm. um so what they've done is they've they've just oh (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly why i don't want to watch it like that would be my reaction so you so basically what what happens is they they cut to the showing the mystery opponent coming in and then when it comes back they've edited it so that Sid's already on the ground after the injuries happened yeah. so it kind of looks like something's happened in between which again is is quite right and that was why it just ends with a little kick to the head and a pinfall which I was yeah. like. I was like, that's a bit underwhelmed. I was like, that's a bit weird. Effectively, effectively what happens is that before we see any of the Sid coming off the top rope, the camera goes backstage and Ric Flair tells the person in a limo who is Road Warrior Animal, though he's in a mask and a ridiculous (laughs) costume, (laughs) um, that it's time. And then when we cut back to the ring, Sid is on the floor. 
his head is facing the hard camera so you don't see a lot of his leg at an odd angle even from what you see here even though it is on a, a horrible angle and because it takes road warrior animal like two minutes or so to get to the ring steiner has to work it over a bit whilst that's going on i mean it's just like talk about you would just call an audible wouldn't you you would just go fuck it steiner pin him just pin him just just we gotta get this guy to a you know we gotta get the medical professionals in we gotta get him on a stretcher we gotta get him out of here to a hospital because he's had an incredibly bad break of a leg instead no they proceed with the angle they wanted to go with the mystery opponent comes down he takes off his mask turns on sid by elbow dropping him i think or maybe steiner does i can't even remember and then steiner just pins him and it basically means that a it's hideous it's very badly and poorly managed by WCW because of the injury and they've not figured it out. But if you remove the injury from it, it's fucking dreadful anyway. Like it's really, really bad. It's a seven minute, seven and a half minute main event, which includes Sid, Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett and Road Warrior Animal in 2001 in a, yeah. in a, as a singles wrestler. And he's the big surprise. You know, like WCW have got people under contract at this point, like Hogan, for example, who you can imagine some of the fans were perhaps anticipating would be the guy who would come in and save sid or whatever no it's, it's road wire animal that is the man who comes down pick what you want out of that but it was just it was just hideous just absolutely hideous tom what did you what did you now that you've seen it and now you know what's happened what did you make of it all? well i just want to kind of touch on the map like the what goes on in the match before it's nothing really happens do you know what i mean it's it's such it's just the the match just bypasses everything do you know what i mean like it just doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason for anything to happen there isn't really any kind of defined story there's no real defined kind of reason for anything to happen all the things that happen just happen and and that's that's about it really so the match in itself is, is pretty bad and i did write at one point in my notes i was like fuck me these three in a match sid jeff and scott steiner let alone not including the fact that fucking an old animal from the legion of doom rocks up in it it's not very good and and what you go on to say about that it kind of leads into something that I wanted to talk about. It's not necessarily a major talking point of mine, but something that I wanted to talk about. So the, what you say about them not just calling an audible and doing something to kind of give Sid some dignity and some medical, urgent medical treatment, this goes down to the show of how evidently chaotic everything is in WCW, how poorly run and how much of a shit show everything is, because it's just, it makes no sense why you wouldn't do that. It's just horrendous because I... I was very confused because all of a sudden he's let down and he moves, Sid moves his leg and then you can see and mm. it's flopping around like a little sausage, to be honest, a little like Frankfurter. And I was like, oh, I was I was almost sick. And then I regained my composure. So I carried on wanking. <laughs> but yeah, after that, it's horrendous. And there's a point where I'm like gripping my knees where I'm like, Scott Stone is going to walk into him and he does. He walks into his leg just a little bit, like just like brushes his foot and moves it. Mm. And I was like, fuck me, how have they got themselves into this position? Where And the position of Sid as well means that when old road warrior animal comes down dressed as a gimp, a, a gimp Jason Voorhees, um, Scott Steiner has stood so close to Sid so that animal can get in the ring. And I'm just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's just very sad. And also, I was just sad that it was Animal. I thought it was going to be Rick Steiner. I thought it was going to be the dog face gremlin. I thought, you know what? Like, I didn't realise. I looked up afterwards. He's actually contracted to the company 
and his performance. So it wouldn't have been much of a surprise. Or Virgil. Look forward to a bit of Virgil as well. <laughs> I got a few. Uh, we've seen a bit of Virgil. Yeah. There's a moment in one of the other matches where security where the security guards come down, and I think Virgil's knocking about with them. Is with, he? With his meat sauce. <laughs> Well, there's meat sauce. It's like a bollocks hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, as Tom said, the match is horrendous. Like, it's just not very good. But there's a lovely moment where Jeff Jarrett reverses an Irish whip outside on Sid. And Sid goes <laughs> to go into the barrier. But instead of going into the nearest barrier, he runs past it really slowly. And then kind of falls over it like I would fall over a bench if I was looking at my phone after I'd had a couple of pints. Just fell really slowly. It's so far as well. It's like you can you can suspend your leaf, but only for so how long? Because he basically runs like the width of the ring and more to get onto it. It's amazing. So yeah, it's a it's a dreadful match. It's a dreadful management of the end of that match when Sid's got his leg injured. I, as I said, I was very relieved when it came back and we missed all the we missed the actual injury. And from that perspective, I thought this is quite this isn't too bad because you're right, old man. You can see him because he can he kind of moves occasionally. You can see that his legs at a strange angle, but most of the time you can't really see it. Evidently, Tom, you didn't even know that that had happened given what given the way they it it looked so i because i was so prepared for it and because i knew and and, and because i was so relieved that we didn't see it i actually was able to get through this you also notice that they very quickly cut straight after the pinfall the mat the show just closes there's no you know any any ceremony or anything it just closes in the arena that night um as sid was getting medical attention in the ring rick flair then comes out and reveals the whole plot to the crowd so he reveals the whole thing with Robot Animal and Jarrett and Steiner. Um, they replay that on Monday Nitro the next night. In fact, I, I understand from what I've read that they even replay the injury, the Sid injury, oh. which is just absolutely insane. And then just to give you a bit more <laughs> of a kind of this is what WWE is about, that they apparently reduced his pay, Sid's pay after this, because he was unable to compete. So... <laughs> Good old nice. WCW. Um, and then, of course, what happened in March is that WCW was sold to WWF. Now, when WWF bought WCW, they didn't buy all of the company. They bought a bunch of the rings and some of the equipment. They built. They bought all the trademarks, all the names. They bought some of the contracts of the cheapest wrestlers, some of the younger guys. But they didn't buy any of the big, big money contracts, which included some probably that weren't that big money, but they just didn't really rent that interested in one of which was sid whose contract was due to end in the summer he then sued wcw sid or sorry sid sued the the kind of shell company that was left as part of time warner that managed those those remaining contracts because of this injury because he was asked to do it by none other than john laurinaitis according to sid vicious he didn't want to do it he said I, I don't think I should come off the top rope. He was reluctant to do it. He said, I'm not a, I'm a big guy. I've never done this. I don't come off the top rope. But John Laurinaitis, basically, he, in he when in his um, testimony as part of the suit that he filed, Sid said that John Laurinaitis held up a contract, uh, sorry, held up a script and said, um, if you don't do this, I've got to rewrite this script. And not wanting to make himself look like he was being difficult, given that at the time, 
Fusion Media Ventures, which was headed up by Bischoff, were about to buy WCW and therefore new owners were going to come in and buy the company. He and he wanted obviously to protect his future status as an active wrestler with WCW, caved to their request and decided to come off the top rope. So the whole thing is just it's it's just another kind of chapter of uckiness from WCW, ultimately. Mm. He did. He did wrestle again, though, didn't he? After it. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he did. He did come back eventually, but I mean, it would have been many years down the line. And and to to be fair, he wasn't the most mobile in the ring. So you know, no, it's, it's a horrible injury. The one thing that is good about Sid in that um in this pay per view is that he does a promo uh, with either it's either Mean Gene or Mike Tenay, and he's wearing a baseball cap on. But the baseball cap will barely fit, and his pot noodle hair is. <laughs> Bursting from the seams. It's a lovely old job. Do you reckon, much like a pot noodle, when you put the mortar in, when he put the hat on initially, it fit, but after a few minutes, it just expanded, <laughs> so the hat just started to rise up. And then Mike Tenet put the little sachet of chow mein <laughs> sauce on his hair. Uh, or Virgil came in with some meat sauce. That's, that's, what, that, that's what happened. Um, just before we get away from this main event, uh, did you notice at the as uh, Jeff Jarrett is making his way to the ring, someone's holding up a foam guitar that has got slap nuts on it. <laughs> Which, I mean, I know I know we all agree that the foam heart is the greatest use of foam in any wrestling merchandise ever, but that's absolutely brilliant. That's a foam guitar. Do we, do we need to have like a foam merch tie-in tier? <laughs> or something like that to be able to figure out what is better it needs to be continually added to it there's one more thing i wanted to say about the main event just to also just to kind of emphasize how shit it is right so what we know is that it, ultimately by the end of this show and by the end of the next night's nitro is that rick flair put this match together because he would allow scott Stoner and jeff Jarrett effectively to be two on one against sid and then he had an insurance policy with Road Warrior Animal as a third opponent for Sid to just to make sure Steiner didn't lose a title. And so all that begs the question, especially as Steiner and Jarrett were both trying to pin Sid and weren't stopping the other one from pinning Sid. So they were obviously working together. Begs the question, why didn't Jeff Jarrett just lay down for Steiner? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, that was, that, yeah. <laughs> I did find it very confusing that they were just letting the other pin him. Hmm. I was like, I know you're trying to make out that they're mates, but this makes no sense at all. Like, oh, there's a lot of this. There's so much stuff on this show that doesn't make any sense. And this isn't even close to being like the worst of it. But it's just fucking terrible, isn't it? If you can ignore that Jarrett doesn't lie down for Steiner, then I don't think it's too bad. I think in terms of a story, it just about makes sense. The problem is on the show here is you don't have the bit at the end because you don't see Ric Flair explain everything. And obviously, you know, Jarrett didn't lie down for Steiner, which would have made perfect sense because we know afterwards, we know they're all working together to keep Steiner having the title. But why didn't Jarrett just lie lie down for him then? You you could almost say that Ric Flair, by creating a scheme, he's an original prankster. (laughs) <laughs> oh tom sometimes you are pretty fly for a white guy yeah <laughs> so that that compliment mate was all i want he's just he's just looking through a list of offspring songs now as if as if, as if that makes him really clever well why don't you get a job thinking <laughs> <laughs> right okay let's get past this uh old man what was your uh what what, what did you want to focus on mm, well to be honest i had a bit of a tough time trying to pick this out because there's a lot 
that you could go into. But I went for the uh, the ice hockey match, or what was it, the penalty box match? Penalty box match. I mean, already it's not a very good uh, thing. And then you, then you get the special guest referee come out. Oh, God. Jim Duggan. To be honest, he's in my bad books because the two by four didn't have a little referee's jacket on. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed with that because it's the it's the little touches that make it. And I thought Jim Duggan was all about subtlety when he was in his uh, in his prime. And then he uh, he's running through the uh, the rules. So it's Lance Storm, Mike Olson, and Prime Time, who are Team Canada, against the Filthy Animals, who are Billy Kidman, Conan, and Ray Mysterio, maskless Ray Mysterio with some little horns on his head, who I didn't know who it was, and then suddenly it clicked. I was like, oh, it's Ray Mysterio. Look at his little face. Lance Storm cuts a cracking promo <laughs> before, before the match. I fucking I love Lance Storm, but this promo is fucking horrendous. It sounds like he's working off of nothing, so he's just kind of making it up. He does his little if I could be serious for a minute. Gets a good bit of heat, and then they play the uh, Canadian National Anthem before the Filthy Animals music comes in. And then uh, Duggan tells the stipulation of the match. So he breaks it down, and I can't remember how he breaks it down, but every now and then he'll just go, Ho! Oh! as he's breaking <laughs> the rules. He, does, he, clearly, he clearly doesn't understand the rules himself. It's like me trying to explain cricket to someone. <laughs> I've got a fucking clue about cricket. I, I do as bad a job as Axel did. Yeah, he's not. He's not. They don't do themselves any favors by letting Jim Duggan explain the rules here. Why not just have the ring announcer explain the rules? But no, they give those duties to Jim Duggan. <laughs> All people. We're already off to a pretty rough start here, so I'm already a bit like this is going to be a proper clusterfuck. So the rules are basically if someone tries to come into the ring and interfere they go into the penalty box for a minute if they basically do anything that's against the rules they go into the penalty box for a minute that kind of goes on for a bit and it's quite tedious because initially the crowd are excited because two of the uh, canadian lads uh mike Wilson and prime time get put in there and they're all excited and then that happens again and then they're less excited and then they're less excited and then um so there's a we've had this before on another show and this goes through the show and it fucking pissed me right off where they're like so you can't hit someone when they're on the ropes so they all of a sudden jim duggan is like actually yeah that's a rule so if someone's in the corner and someone punches someone and he's like you need to get in the box mate everyone's like what i was expecting better from duggan he's a top worker back in the day and he's obviously not carried that over to the refereeing because after that Ray Mysterio does a Bronco Buster. Where does that take place, lads? <laughs> <laughs> and numerous times he does this. And then um, the lady who I confess I haven't written her name down. Tigress. Tigress, thank you. And Major Guns, who's with the Canadians, does it as well. She's got interfering. I, I think she does get lobbed in the little box, which is <laughs> admittedly a little bit of consistency. But yeah, it's just I, I haven't actually even written down who wins. <laughs> All I've written down is that it was just an awful idea, terribly executed. My biggest issue is, is that when they were actually wrestling, it was really quite decent. And they're obviously, they're all pretty talented. Kidman is fantastic. Mysterio, obviously, we know is brilliant. Lance Storm locks on an incredible half crab, which is the finish, I believe. Kidman's tapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most unconvincing tap out I think I've ever seen in my life. 
was it as good as Jimmy Snooker's at WrestleMania 25? Do you know what? I'll forgive Snooker for that because I'm worried he might kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this just saddened me. This was this was the first match that I had any real proper expectation for when I saw who was in it. And when I saw the stipulation, I was like, ah, they fuck this. And true enough, they did. And I didn't enjoy it. And I was a little bit upset. So I had to take a break <laughs> after this. They certainly, they did, certainly did fuck it. They, certainly, yeah. they certainly did. This was a mess of a stipulation. And I think it's something that, I mean, it would have been hard to make it good. But I think mm. that they made it worse than it needed to be. Because, as you say, they just put people in the penalty box willy-nilly all the way through. So it didn't mean anything. If they'd have waited six, seven minutes, and then someone had done something to break the mm-hmm. rules, and then they'd gone into the penalty box, and it had only been one person at a time, it would have felt like a much more important thing. And you might have even been able to have a longer match and it might have been, you know, really tidy, exciting match. But as it is, it's just an absolute mess with people coming in, going out constantly throughout the whole match. Jim Duggan waddling around like he's like a complete fool. I mean, we saw him in a match last week on last week's show that we covered. And he's better then, six years after this show, than he is here as a referee. WWE thought they were doing everyone a favour by not having him wrestle. If they'd have just had him wrestle, it would have been perfect. And and the thing is, he'd only just left Team Canada. So this is the other thing, which is crazy about this, is Jim Duggan had joined Team Canada in the previous year and turned heel for the first, like, for the first time in goodness knows how long. And... Uh, uh, by this point, Team Canada turned on him again, and now he was the referee in this match. I mean, a mess from top to bottom. So I want to focus a little bit on some of the some of the other things in the match. I, I agree the stipulation is stupid. How Jim Duggan can apparently enforce the rules better than all of the official trained referees <laughs> in jobs is, is a baffle, as you said. I want to quickly talk about Conan's sunglasses. That he wears down the ring. Oh, yeah. Sunglasses that go up over the top of his head and then join at the base of his skull. It's very, very bizarre. Tony Schiavone and the commentator who is um, Scott Scott Hudson Hudson. are very impressed by and come up with a very very relevant recent reference and say it looks like something from Mad Max, which would have been (laughs) about 15 years old at that time, which is beautiful. And 15 Um, years before it was rebooted as well. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right in the old in the fucking perineum of the Mad Max films. That little <laughs> reference is in there. And I did think to myself at the beginning of the match, I was like, surely just a tag match between Lance Storm and Mike Awesome versus Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman would have been a better use of everyone's time. But I actually quite enjoyed um, or Prime Time or Elix Skipper. I quite enjoyed his work in the ring. And I thought Conan was good or good enough in the ring as well. And I always love the fact that Conan has always got his vest tucked into his pants, <laughs> which are very Rick Mail-esque. Um, and there's a bit in it where Conan does a head scissors takedown on Mike Wilson. Now they're both quite big lads, so I'll forgive them, forgive them for this. But it is the slowest, <laughs> the slowest head scissors takedown that I've ever seen. It was like me trying to do a cartwheel. It was <laughs> and there's a brutal, awesome bomb by Mike Awesome on Rey Mysterio, where it's, it's basically kind of running sit out Razor's Edge, which looks absolutely savage on Rey Mysterio. And speaking of Rey Mysterio, whilst he's Still clearly very, very good. He's not as good without his mask on. There's so much of the mystique, so much of the intrigue, so much of the of the charisma is gone. And it doesn't help that he looks like a twelve year old yeah. as well. And it just it's just all it just doesn't work. And thank Christ that when he eventually did sign with WWE that Vince was like, 
put that fucking mask on and get that twelve year old boy's face out of here. Because imagine <laughs> now, if he was if he was still without his mask and he was teaming with his son Dominic and he looked younger than his son, it'd be madness, <laughs> wouldn't it? He's yeah. not helped by the baggy trousers as well. He's got the baggy jeans on and he's just yeah, he look he looks what's the fucking horns about as well? What's that all yeah. about? It's really weird. Not not for me. This could have been an excellent six man tag match ultimately. This could have been a really, really excellent six man tag match and they saddled them with this gimmick and uh yeah, messed it all up. So Tom, what what do you wanna what do you wanna pick out? Right, I wasn't really prepared for this, um, so I've kind of got two. Oh, well, very very. The first one's very short though. The first one is the cat versus Mike Sanders for control of the commissionership. Um, the cat being accompanied by Miss Jones. Miss Jones. <laughs> and that was why I said that. That's why I picked that bit. <laughs> and we can talk about this match later. But what I actually wanted to talk about is the triple threat hardcore match so this is old meng who has stolen the hardcore championship from terry funk i believe according to the opening video package uh, in a triple threat match versus someone called crowbar who i've never heard of who was accompanied by uh, daphne who sadly passed quite recently uh, versus terry funk we've seen before matches where a heel has stolen the belt and you know they've gone into the match and that's kind of that's kind of happened but what i find super bizarre about this match this match is just fucking stupid they're going they're, they're basically it starts off with daphne's in the crowd she throws a drink over terry funk and then out of nowhere crowbar comes out of nowhere and crowbar and terry funk start fighting into into the back of the building all the while ming's just hanging out in the ring he was the first one to complain so he's just chilling in the ring they're then fighting in, in the toilet and there's some pretty rough chair shots going already and especially to old funker as well like he's taking he's taking it pretty pretty roughly then they, they fight into the woman's toilet and terry funk throws what i think is an, a shoot bin uh, uh, at old, <laughs> old uh, crowbar because it is genuinely actually full of rubbish <laughs> it's, it's just full of horrible looking rubbish and all i could think to myself was these poor fuckers have got to go and uh they've got to go and clean up afterwards somewhere because it is genuinely i think it's a it's a it's a shoot bin it's not a working bin um <laughs> working ming, bin <laughs> yeah. so ming then turns up as that slapping funk around a little bit ming then is no cells a fire extinguisher to the head <laughs> Which I was like, fucking hell, that's a bit. That's taking the old smell and hide head to a whole other level if you're not selling a fucking fire extinguisher. Then it kind of all goes a bit messy for a little bit, and it's basically the three of them. There's like loads of moments where like Ming's just getting his head smashed against some like uh what do you call it like a like a, a shop front kind of door like you know these ones that go down shutters sort of, shutters yeah get some shutters. And then, completely out of nowhere, Crowbar hits this absolutely mad leg drop off of a balcony onto Terry Funk through a table, which looks absolutely horrible because he doesn't, he just lands on him ass first. It's more like a sensor. And it looks, it looks absolutely brutal. And I was watching all of this bit and I'm thinking, this is so shit and yeah. chaotic and unplanned and disorganized. And it doesn't look good. In my opinion, the, the, the highlight of a major company doing a a hard a match for the hardcore title where people where that is a bit silly but it's nature they can be a bit silly with it is that triple threat match that happens about three months later at wrestlemania because they have clearly planned out all the spots beforehand they've decided what they're going to do they add a bit of comedy into it so it's not too not too serious because you can't take it seriously because it's so absurd and they just completely get it wrong and then they eventually get into the ring and that the crowd, to be fair, get into it a bit more when they're in ring because they're like, oh, I can actually see something now. 
but it's just like everything I've seen from the WCW's hardcore vision. It, they're just trying too hard to to make it some make it serious when it doesn't need to be. It needs to be a bit daft. And also the commentary throughout this match as well. It was particularly grating because again they're trying too hard to sell the importance of it. Whereas it's for the WCW hardcore title, it's not a serious title. It's not a real thing. And it's one of these things where you're like, this is, again, if you wanted to put these two matches, triple threat hardcore matches that have backstage fighting through it and play it, play them against each other, there's one that's considerably better than the other one. And it's just really, I don't know, I, I watched it and I thought it was quite an interesting, interesting, two, interest, two completely polar opposite ways of putting together these matches. And it shows one of a company that's got their shit together and one that hasn't. Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting parallel to make, actually, to the one at WrestleMania 17, because you're right, the match between Raven Kane and Big Show is fabulous and is a bit funny and is a bit silly and is a bit ridiculous. But it's clearly, as Tom said, absolutely planned, very tidy, spot to spot, makes perfect sense. I found this really boring. And that's the crazy thing about this is that, as Tom said, it might be messy it might be kind of disjointed, all those things. But surely the whole point is, is that you trade off all of that stuff because it's supposed to be a bit crazy and a bit a bit exciting. It's not at all exciting. It's really, really boring, really, really dull. It, it, it's the definition of where if you don't slow down, everything just becomes dull. It just it just doesn't work. And this is this is it. And and for me, this was with obvious, the obvious exception of Sid Vicious's hideous leg break, this was, for me, the absolute nadir of the show. It was the worst, the low point of the show was this match. And I, I felt the same way as I did the last time we had Terry Funk in a hardcore championship match. I think it was in Slambury 2000. Why yeah. is he doing it? Like, why is Why are they making him do it? And why is he agreeing to do it? Like, there's nothing, nobody cares about this. This isn't, you know, this isn't art violence. This is silly probably quite painful but at the same time still quite homogenized violence like just not very interesting at all and yeah it's just pathetic and then there's the bit with meng at the end where they're base, both hitting him with the chairs the unprotected chair shots to the head the whole thing is just it's just silly ridiculous pointless and i just didn't like it at all it's just horrible so they start like tom said they go out to the back they're in the uh what they describe as the women's changing room uh toilet mm-hmm. so there's three bins in this toilet and immediately i know it's a stupid thing but i'm like that's too many bins two of them are working that's why but the other one was stupid. yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, the thing is as well is you've got two of them uh, the big plastic ones that undoubtedly you get whacked on the other one and they was just gonna bloody hurt <laughs> but it doesn't look like it hurts. Mm. and i think that's the problem i don't want anybody to get hurt but I at least want them, if they're going to legit get hurt, because undoubtedly they do with these bins, at least give them those collapsible metal ones that are actually absorbing some of the impact and not solid plastic that's barely moving when they're getting hit with them. It's just stupid. There's a bump through the table that is quite impressive. So um, older crowbar climbs up. When they get out into the arena, he climbs up into like the first tier in inverted commas of seating does a lovely little jump through but by then they only just come out of the box then by then i was just bored yeah but you said tinky i was just quite bored of it and then old daphne god rest her soul is putting in a shift but she's so annoying in her screaming and i i just kind of feel like why did they have her there because she doesn't get involved i was anticipating her doing that 
And then at some point, it would be crowbar and someone one-on-one. She'd get involved, do something, and then it would help him win the match, help crowbar win the match. Doesn't happen. There is a wrestling move. Meng hits a cracking pile driver, an absolute ripper of a pile driver. It is an absolute beauty. And there is a sign in the crowd that says, my brother is on house arrest. <laughs> Which, I mean, right, fair enough. My other issue with this match is that they put it directly after another gimmick match. Just spread it out. Just spread spread the shit. <laughs> like, don't condense the shit because this was where... So I'd just taken the break after uh, the penalty box match. And then we had this match and I was like, I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> I just don't want to do anymore, lads. Yeah. Do you want to hear some nice, some some nice things and some interesting things about this? Go on. No. I think Tom, I think Tom, you'll like this anyway. Um, so first of all, Meng becomes hardcore champion here. He is yeah. the last ever WWE hardcore champion because literally a week later he signed for the WWF mm-hmm. and turned up at the Royal Rumble, and so he took the and he was the champion at the time. So the hardcore title no longer um, existed in WWE. But about a week after that, or maybe a week before that, I'm not sure, he presented the belt, the championship belt to the Barbarian at an independent show as a gift. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely stuff. I love yeah. that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't your favourite version of the Barbarian, Tom, but uh, the powers of pain. Uh, I know you threw my, him there, but, but still. It's not my favourite version of Meng either, but we'll take what we can get. I'm afraid <laughs> of William's Haku, King Haku. So that was, I thought that was a really, in, like, really nice little thing there, Meng just giving him the belt. There you go, mate. That's yours now. <laughs> Apparently, though, it, it's no longer, it wasn't, it didn't end up being his because uh, WWE got it as part of the sale. So they now Aww. have it. WWE now own it, apparently. That seems a bit nasty, doesn't it? It does. It does. That gives us our three talking points. Um, we will, after the break, go through the rest of the show in order of it happening. But we will take just a quick break and uh, come back in a second. Big Sid Vicious, tonight you're going to be buying for a shot at the WCW Championship here at Sin. Now you say you should have won that title from Steiner at Starcade last month. The fact remains that tonight you're going to get in there with Jarrett, a mystery man, and I'm sure all of you are going to be gunning for Big Papa Pump. See, nothing would make me happier to see Jarrett and Steiner run like frightened children. And as far as the mystery opponent goes, I'll have to say, because Ric Flair's made the decision, it's on the up and up. But you got to realize something. I am the original madman of WCW. And I'm here for one reason, to take back what is mine. And I will choke slam everyone through the ring straight to... from Sid, we've heard from Jarrett. Next up, I'm going to try to get a word with Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. Okay, welcome back. So, let's go through the rest of WCW Sin, shall we? Starting from the beginning, where we get a video package which effectively just lists the seven deadly sins, which is funny, because one of them is greed, and that would be the WCW's final show ever. So, a bit of foreshadowing there from WCW. This this, this is is the last one, (laughs) Pinky. I mean, you'd have thought someone would have said, look, you know, Sin, you've got that as the January pay-per-view. And if, if you make Greed the March pay-per-view, well, Greed is just a subset of Sin. I mean, you can't you can't do that. that that's not that's not on. But also, let's let's be honest, right? We all know what the seven deadly sins are. 
you've got lust. Yeah. You've got some other ones. Sin. Uh-huh. Greed. Sin is, not, sin is not one of the seven <laughs> deadly sins. We know that Super Brawl is one of the seven deadly sins as well. <laughs> you know I mean? Halloween Havoc. Yeah, Halloween Havoc. <laughs> Halloween Chavo. Hogwild. <laughs> um, can I just say, uh, the poster for WCW Super Brawl Revenge has got Sid on it. <laughs> you know he's not going to be there. <laughs> the fucking shit this company was. The really is. Fuck me. <laughs> Oh, right. OK. Um, and then Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson welcome us to the show. Wearing matching outfits. I didn't notice that. Didn't yeah. notice that. Black sports jackets and black T-shirts. Very distinct, very bland, very business casual. A lot of time <laughs> and, for it. Well, of course they're serious because they're welcoming us to a brand new era. Yes. WCW. That was my next thing, was the quote from Tony Schiavone. Yeah, it's a brand new era in WCW. Now, I wonder how many times fans of WCW had heard that by this point. <laughs> yeah, I think probably every week for the last three years, I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> two, three years. In fairness to Schiavone, on this occasion, this was the first pay-per-view, I believe, after it was announced that Fusion Media Ventures were buying WCW from Time Warner. And is the in was it Terry was it the Red Rooster and Johnny Ace doing the booking at this stage? I believe they were part of it, and Ed Ferrara, who had been Vince Russo's yeah. kind of uh, write, writing partner, was also still there. Russo had gone, but he was still around, I believe, at this stage. I, I was gonna. This is later on in the show, but older uh, is it Scott Hudson? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, he also refers to 2001 as the start of a new millennium <laughs> yeah i noticed that a couple of times <laughs> i was like come on yeah because he doesn't he like doubles down fair fucks to him he doubles or trebles down on it but i was a bit like come on scotty huds well, you're mean, better than this well, is, he, is he better than this he's, he's he's it's near the start of the new millennium <laughs> you give him that <laughs> so and also he's got one of those voices i mean scott hudson <laughs> fuck off <laughs> So just um can you just say for me um this quote that scott hudson says later in the show which we won't come to so it's fine um can you just say this for me which in scott hudson's voice now wcw are ready to take on the 21st century now wcw are ready to take on the 21st century yeah and i was like <laughs> it's a year in guys come on it's about fucking time you did i thought shivoni whenever the camera cut to him he looked dead behind the eyes he looked every now and then he'd look into the camera and i just think you poor fucker you poor fucker scott hudson in fairness to him is putting a heck well they're both working hard but he's putting a heck of a shift in because he's not got the rep that shivoni has so he's probably thinking right i need to do this because otherwise these fucking cunts coming in might bin me off and get a bloody carrier bag in to replace me <laughs> but yeah yeah a bit sad really sad I did, I did wonder to myself like i wonder like we've said before but i think we chatted about this when we did what was the three tier cage match disaster that we watched like uh, do people know that this is shit <laughs> like do the people who are doing it know that it's shit i honestly think after we get past the penalty box match i think they both know that this is horrendous I, I, I have a different slant on that, but we'll come to that later on. Let's, 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 not, let's not blur our wad just yet. Um, so we, then get, we do get something that's shit, which is um, instantly recognisable and is a problem throughout, which is audio quality. Because we get a backstage bit between Shane Helms and his tag team partner, Shannon Moore. 
and they talk but have no idea what they say because you can't hear anything they say and that is a recurring theme through the show then we see some footage of uh shane helms against shannon moore on nitro and then also shane saving shannon from attack at the hands of chavo bit confused by this because i was in the impression that three count which are shannon and shane were heels but apparently this is interesting because i with this match when it comes to it they keep talking about chavo's new attitude which is usually synonymous with someone when they do a heel turn so yeah i couldn't figure this one out at all and also when chavo comes out he's proper healing it up to the crowd with his facial expressions and that and i'm like what's going because that's a note that i've got is that i've got no idea who is the heel or face and it takes a few matches for actually any heel or face to become obvious i think chavo but chavo is getting cheered when he comes down so it's weird it's really weird and also i think you may have alluded to it just now but shane helms and shannon moore and whoever else three count i assume there's three of them well there was but there's now only two all right um have they got like a boy band gimmick because their titan tron is phenomenal Yes, and the music that is piped in yeah. is their actual music. I believe. It's amazing. So it, isn't, it isn't piped in. It's actually their oh. music. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a precursor to Billy and Chuck. That's what it is. It's a, yeah, um, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's great. They were, yeah, a boy band type gimmick. So this is the opening match is Chavo Guerrero Jr. versus Shane Helms for the Cruiserweight title. And it's just over 11 minutes in length. And it ends when so there's a good exchange of reversals and counters. And then Chav, Chavo hits a brain buster for the pin. Just before that, though, Shane Helms hits possibly the greatest named move in the history oh, of wrestling, yes. which is the Nightmare on Helm Street. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So. Oh man, what did you think of this one? I thought this was okay. And I got to be honest, I was a bit disappointed when they started doing the flippy stuff. Because I was really enjoying Because they were beating the piss out of each other. And there's a couple of lovely moves. There's a lovely spinning neck breaker onto a knee that um, Helms does to Chavo. Which unfortunately, true to form really, with the cruiserweight stuff that I watched in WCW, completely no-sold by Chavo. And they both do this quite a lot off of like high impact moves there's an incredible german suplex with a bridge helms as well that looks fan-fucking-tastic but after that they kind of get into lobbing themselves around they do a couple of like they do basically this exactly the same move to each other jumping from the top rope to the outside of the ring and then the match happened it's good to see these lads so we haven't seen an enormous amount of them wrestling but i was a bit disappointed i think i was expecting I was expecting from the start, from the first half of the match, definitely, I thought it was going to be a proper little beatdown and they'd have a lovely old time. But as it was, it was okay. I think if they'd gone whole hog one way or the other, I think I'd have really, really enjoyed it. But as it was, it was okay. It's interesting. We've we've hit one of those moments, old man, where I'm the flip reverse of you, basically. Um, so the first half of the match, I thought was a bit sloppy, not particularly good, didn't enjoy it very much. And it might have been because... Being this being WCW and this being a cruiserweight title match, I had something very specific in mind that I was expecting, and that first six seven minutes didn't really do it for me, or five minutes didn't really do it for me. And then they got into some of the more smoother transitions and and better wrestling, and it just felt like a much better match. But I did enjoy it; I thought it was good. This is my match of the night, just to put it out there right now. This is my match of the night. I just thought it was the most accomplished bit of wrestling, and I think to be honest. I was a little bit disappointed and I put that on Shane Helms and I put it on him because I think 
much like a huge amount of this roster, he's just too green. He's not ready yet for the the position he's being given. And that, for me, is for the first half of the show, up to that kind of at the end of that hardcore match, that is where we are. In fact, probably even after that, the, the tag team title match, throughout all of those matches, there are people that are not ready to be where they are. And um, this is the first example of that. But this has at least got Chavo to steer it through to something pretty worthwhile. Tom? Um, kind of with both of you, I actually like the entire match. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed, well, it's got my best friend, isn't it? You can, you can, you can forget <laughs> fucking Chuck Taylor and Trent Barretta or Chavo and Tom Smith. They're the best friends. Oh, you're not talking about Chavo, though, are you? You're talking about the referee. Is it Scott Armstrong? It is. Really? But Scott James. Oh, with a lovely little like if I his hair is obviously curly with a lovely little tight perm it looks like <laughs> a little tight dark perm but yeah this isn't the ginger breath no 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 okay it's even he could ruin it even though he tried um <laughs> I really I just really enjoyed it I, I I thought it was really fun I loved the end sequence I thought the, that suplex like sequence was was really really good. This well suplex into Nightmare on Helm Street, the back into a, a, a absolutely perfect looking brainbuster from Chavo as well. Good intensity from both of them. I just really liked it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the the entire match. Um, I haven't got much more on here that I haven't already got. Only the fact that I've really found Shane Helms's uh, Green Lantern tattoo very distracting. This is obviously the first match, and this is the commentary commentary is already grating on me hey i'm sam carey i'm old man and i'm american and i say words like commentary and military (laughs) (laughs) anyway hang on i'm just gonna put on some cologne (laughs) so that i smell nice for the show well you have to put that that uh that cologne on because you stink of oregano old man What are you doing, fucking old man? You know that cilantro back there with your eggplants, you fucking cunt. (laughs) (laughs) With your eggplants, you fucking cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, compose yourselves. (laughs) So. This is the first bit of commentary that really uh, grinds my nuts because uh, after older Havoc Guerrero kicks out of the uh, the Nightmare on Helm Street, the commentators go from, they're almost in reverse because they're just kind of plodding through the match. Then they're like, oh my God, I don't think anyone's ever kicked out of the Nightmare on Helm Street. Oh my God. And they're both basically about to shit themselves. And then two seconds later, they're like, oh, okay, cool. All done. All done. Pretty much like me when I talk about a match. When I'm like, oh, it's the best thing ever. It's it's all right. (laughs) Next up, we get uh, Tony Schiavone and Scott Scott Hudson talking about the card to come, which includes Goldberg teaming with Sarge, plus main event with Scott Snyder, Jarrett, Animal, and the Mystery of Honan. Not Animal, because they don't say that, because he is the Mystery of Honan. It's uh, whatever his name is. Sid Vicious, that's the one. (laughs) So um, (laughs) then we get... uh, Someone with the leg. (laughs) That's the one. Then uh, we get some footage from earlier today when Mike Tanay greets Ric Flair as he arrives to the arena in a limo. And he asks Ric Flair about the identity of the mystery opponent. Flair says he must remain a mystery for now. And he says he will rock Scott Steiner's world at the foundations. The person that we know to be Animal, who is the mystery guy. So this is footage from earlier. Animal is sat in that limo for the whole 
Time. No, Ric Flair fucks off to get him, doesn't he? Halfway through the show. That's right, he does. You see Ric Flair uh, go back. I, yeah. I must have slipped into a coma at that point. So then we get uh, Mean Gene Oakland backstage with the Mamelukes. Uh, and we find out that Vito will face Reno. Uh, but Johnny the Bull, Vito's teammate, is banned from ringside for the match. I wrote here, Mean Gene, as was some blokes whose names I didn't catch. The one in the hat says something. <laughs> that's about right that's about right yeah um i did have a little note on this so big veto is wearing uh some garb not a dress though. Mid- not a dress no. this time though <laughs> and he's got some uh some italian flags on him just to make sure we know he's italian american and one of them is like on his like chest and it's sideways and like tom i was so distracted by this i couldn't write anything down there was nothing to write down. There really was nothing to write down. They they barely they barely did anything. And we also saw some footage of something that happened between Reno and Vito and Johnny the Ball. And we find out that Reno is Big Vito's brother. Yes. Yeah. Um that's about it. That's what we find out from um, this. Vito does say I did write something down about this, uh Primo. He runs through all of these things that he doesn't care about. And it's everything. And I was like, what does he care about? And then I was a bit sad for him. I was like, what's, what's this poor little lamb doing? Poor little chap. Well, I didn't I didn't get any of that. Anyway, Big Vito and Reno have a nine-minute match, which ends when Reno hits Roll the Dice, which is basically mm. Sister Abigail, for the win. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this one? When I saw what Reno looked like, I went, ooh. Because <laughs> he was completely bowled by two dreadlocks in the back of his head. Which is makes him look like a novelty plug socket. What a guy! What a guy! He, he's got that hair all the time at this stage in his life. That, mm. That's what he walks around with. I noticed this as well on the uh, ring apron. It says WCW plus com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's just some kind of dark corner of the web I've never been onto before. I don't understand how that works. It's the WCW symbol. Later on in the show, so I was like, it looks like it probably is. Later on in the show, there's a camera pass and you can see it. And I was like, why have they done that? No one can see that. I only saw it because I was confused as to why they put plus com. Yeah. And then I tried to go onto the website. And, uh, <laughs> it, it is dark, Tom. It's very dark. <laughs> they got um, pictures of Reno and his hair. <laughs> uh, exactly. His head dreadlocks are so long now, you can just get them down and pull them underneath and then pull them back up like braces. This is a bit of a slugfest. Is that this is a big bollocks crashing together match, isn't there? Not much wrestling going on. There was a couple of nice suplexes and one very impressive, enormous superplex off of the top rope from Vito onto uh, onto Reno. <laughs> it's one bizarre bit of commentary from Tony Cerrone. Reno gets punched by uh, Vito at one point, who then falls to the mat and gets straight back up again. And Tony Schiavone is like, oh, my God, you see him get up after that punch. (laughs) Whoa. All right, then. Like I said, there are some pretty impressive suplexes, but there's not really much to this match. It's it's nine minutes long. One of the only matches on the pay-per-view that doesn't go for 11 minutes. I don't know if you've looked at the timings, but there's five matches on this pay-per-view that end in in, in the 11-minute mark. Um, So they decided to shave two off off of this one. It, it was kind of what it was. I wasn't expecting much from it, and it wasn't much. So I also failed to mention, sorry, unless it was painfully, unless it wasn't painfully obvious, that Shane Helms versus Chavo is my match of the night as well. The the what I was saying about Shane Helms being not ready for 
national television exposure is doubly true of Reno and Big Vito at this stage. Obviously, Vito did become a WWE star, and we saw him in a lovely little segment backstage with William Regal. In fact, a couple mm-hmm. um, not too long ago. But here he is definitely not ready. And that's what we get here. We get two guys who know how to perform moves. They just don't know how to string it all together and make a decent match out of it. All the moves are perfectly fine, clean, tidy. There's just nothing going on. There's just no rhyme, reason, story, anything about it. It's just two guys executing moves against one another, doing nothing else. I So we're off pretty hot with this because Big Vito comes down with a kendo stick for some reason. It's never used, but it's decorated to show us the Italian flag. A little patriotic kendo stick. And then when Reno comes down, looking like a member of Right Said Fred, <laughs> and I see his hair, and I'm like, fuck no. Richard Fairbrass, I think, is the guy, the singer, Right Said Fred, who he looks like. Conspiracy theorist now, I believe. Right yes, very much so. He absolutely loves it. Um, Now, I was a little bit confused as to why they were wrestling these lads initially, because we've obviously seen in the video that they're brothers. But just in case we don't get it, the commentators let us know. I think I counted about 3,007 times. They remind us that they're brothers <laughs> and that's why they're fighting. So, all right, lads. I agree with everything that you boys have said. It's clunky, messy, doesn't really, there's not really anything to it in a sense. But I just love seeing them beat the crap into each other. Just really enjoy. This is what I thought I was getting in the first match, where they start off big. And because of that, quite unbelievably, this is my match of the night. Wow. Yeah, I just, I think it's because I know that they're both very green as well. Like you can tell immediately. I think I just really appreciated the effort that they put in and the fact that they hit some pretty, pretty hard hitting stuff and pretty risky stuff on each other being that green. And I enjoyed, enjoyed Sister Abigail and also Sister Abigail, but also um, a Cody Rhodes finisher as well. Yeah, Crossroads. Yeah, on Big Car Cody. But yeah, this was not awful. And I was expecting it to be fucking terrible when they both got in the rain. But yeah, I like that. I think what I got from this was either one of them might be able to be uh, main roster WWE or WWE um, talent in three or four years time. That's what I got from this. Yeah. I just was like, they're just not ready yet. They shouldn't be on TV yet. It's that simple. Well, one of them was. I well, should yeah. of his bits. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you a question because I, I was watching this and I was thinking to myself, like, obviously these two, they're brothers, obviously of like a, an Italian American descent. I don't know if it's kind of a trope or not in wrestling. You don't see as many wrestlers with kind of like that Italian American descent as as you would think, considering how much of a big community it is, and especially considering like the impact and the popularity that like Bruno San Martino had and he was a huge draw wasn't he in 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 New York or in the in the northeast with the kind of Italian American fan base and nothing has ever really happened of note since that there was obviously like the FBI but that was like a joke gimmick and even then like Nunzio had a bit of a run there's obviously these chaps but I can't think of any other kind of serious like Italian. I'm not necessarily saying we need to have like a mob character, you know, wrestler. But I'm surprised that there hasn't been, you know, more like wrestlers with that kind of ancestry and, and that kind of storyline. I wonder if you've hit the nail on the head there where you said we don't need a mob character. And I think in particular for like a WWE, I think also they don't 
need to preach to a region anymore like they're kind of going global aren't they? well they are global so it i won't be against it i i like i like the fbi like you said they were a bit of a like gimmick like stupid little gimmick type thing but it's something a bit different in it something more than this is a man build from blackburn and he's gonna wrestle in the same style yeah like get him in there come on add some characters i think though i think you're right though old man is probably the reason it's never happened again since San Martino is that WWF Vince McMahon in particular can't help himself the minute he hears an Italian American talking I'm like right you're a gangster or you're you know you're yeah. a, you're a wise guy that's it there's no there's no mm-hmm. you know where San Martino obviously wasn't that that wasn't what San Martino's thing was about at all um and I just think it's probably because he can't just can't help himself he would always go there he's just that lazy there could be, there could have been like a, whilst there obviously were a lot of kind of like tropes in like Eddie Guerrero's character, especially, I'm surprised there hasn't been an Italian American version of that, where it's not necessarily building into a, a stereotype such. I mean, in there, I know there was like the, the um, Latino hate and the, the lie cheat still, but that's a little bit early in the script. Like towards the end, he was just an incredibly proud Mexican wrestler. Mm. And I'm surprised there hasn't been a version of that. Before we go off this, I just quickly went on to a, uh, Bruno San Martino's Wikipedia page. And there's a story in there by Bill Watts, apparently in his autobiography, about a confrontation between San Martino and Graham Monty, which I won't go into. But Cowboy Bill Watts' autobiography is called The Cowboy on the Cross, the Bill Watts story, Rebellion, Wrestling and Redemption. It's got two subtitles. <laughs> He's got a story to tell. What can you say? True. Yes. Uh, well, obviously we weird from Stephen when he you was on did. the show. Mm. What stories he had to tell. Certainly oh, the stories. So next up, we've got Mike Sanders backstage with someone. And um, we can't see who that someone is because this time the the, the lighting is ridiculously bad. Um, but it turns out it's one of Chronic. So it's either your boy, Adam Bomb, old man, or Crush. Don't know it's which my one. boy. Because you can't, I couldn't make it out. Um, he pays that person some money. And then the other member of Chronic, so I believe from what you've just said, that it's Crush, it's Brian Adams who comes along, reveals that he's been paid lots more money by somebody else. We don't know who that is yet, but that's the reveal. But as I said, the lighting was so bad, you could barely see this. I realise this. So Chronic, two Brian's yeah. in a tag team. Surely they should have been called Brian Brothers. Or the life of Brian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm ashamed to say I Uh-oh. didn't realise that this was my boy. I thought it was old Baggers, old Buff Bagwell. I was like, well, what's he doing then? What's he up to? Because I do enjoy a bit of Buff, but when I got like, I mean, admittedly, to still Thomas Rains, it's not my favourite version of Brian Clark, but it'll do. It'll <laughs> bloody do. <laughs> well, they are basically, they have resorted to a second rate ripoff of the Acolytes Protection Agency as their gimmick here. Second rate, come on, mate. (laughs) And uh, you know what's up next, don't you? It's time for bonus match. (laughs) (laughs) Because the next match is announced as a non- advertised match the young dragons against evan courageous and jamie noble a tag team encounter which lasts nine and a half minutes um it ends when yang small packages noble for the win after yang completely misses a top rope splash type thingy don't know exactly what the move is old man thoughts on this one so the commentators say this is uh this is between four guys who didn't know they were wrestling until they got to the arena mm-hmm. i was like fucking what a way to sell it, eh? You know what, though? It's probably telling the truth. That's probably legit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the third match now we're in. 
I'm unsure who the heel of the face is in this match, to be honest. I think this is partly down to the crowd, because I think after the barn burner they've just witnessed, they're kind of a bit like, you know, a special added, a special added match. No, no. We'll take a bit more. Brian Clark in the dark, please. Brian Clark up the dark. No, in the dark, not out of the dark. The dirty sod. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a television programme as um, yeah. suggested by Alan Partridge. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Brian Clark in the dark. I thought this was all right. I've got to be honest. There's a good energy to it, at least. Decent old pace. A couple of impactful moves, but it's completely ruined by the finish. The finish is fucking awful. Embarrassingly bad. And whoever it is who does the little uh, flippy thing misses by about a yard and in fairness it's not all on him because older old neighbors should know best should well should know better even but we've got some bad officiating here and this continues through the whole fucking show this referee is counting anybody who is pinned at any time it doesn't matter if they're legal doesn't matter if they're not they're just counting everyone i think this is the ginger referee it's just really really crap and it really bothered me that it's so lazy that they can't even be bothered to count the right people nothing really... nothing upsets old man as much as poor officiating. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't because it's lazy it's just really lazy from top to bottom so what you lose with this is you lose the jeopardy and you lose the chance that someone could get confused cover the wrong guy and then someone can come in and they can take that cover or something like that you just lose any drama for the match in my eyes anyway just found it really really disappointing and it ruined what would have probably been match of the night i think for me because of the pace and the energy it was a nice change are you sure it was the officiating that didn't do that or and not the ridiculous botch of yang missing the <laughs> splash type thing that he did at the end of the match and then just rolling jamie noble up for the victory I don't know, mate, because have you ever been rolled up after missing the splash? <laughs> this was, of course, this was probably a match that happened, I imagine, on WWE's main roster about five, six years later, because uh, Wang or Yang is Jimmy Wang Yang, who mm. would eventually be a WWE star. And obviously, Jamie Noble would be Jamie Noble in WWE. Oh, forgot to say as well, when they're uh, walking down to the ring, old Noble and Courageous, uh, they've got the wrong first names above their things <laughs> ever noble and jamie courageous yeah and i was like that's weird and then they call them jamie noble and evan courageous i was like oh that was a silly mistake wasn't it to be fair it's probably done by that bloody shithouse referee or oh, jamie noble uh, not jamie noble sorry evan courageous see i'm doing it too now see wcw aren't the only yeah. ones um evan courageous has got potentially the smallest forehead in the history of the world <laughs> He's, he's got cornrows and they come down to like about a about a centimetre from his eyebrows. <laughs> Did anyone else think that um, Jamie Noble looked like Rio Ferdinand from like two, not, uh, Evan Creed just looked like Rio Ferdinand from like 2002? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was popular. It was fashionable. See? I don't know if it's that fashionable amongst white people. Hey, Evan Courageous was a famous was part of the famous boy band. So this is this is the other member of Three Count who's now left Three Count. And Jamie Noble had previously been part of the Young Dragons, so they'd had um, they both split out of their respective trios and had kind of come together as a, an additional tag team. I actually quite like this match. There's some absolutely delicious moves from old Jamie Noble in there. Um, he hits like a lovely kind of hurricane round a thing over the top rope to the outside. This is the second beautiful. German suplex with a bridge in this yeah. match from, from it's absolutely first class. I don't know what I've written there. 
runs it by looking for his partner after taking a sit-out powerbomb from the middle rope. Don't know what that means. Um, but I, I um, yeah, it was just really, really good stuff. There's an absolutely brutal drop toe hold on Evan courageous into the middle turnbuckle that looks like it nearly kills him there was another really good move that i liked which is like a gorilla press slam into a spine buster from evan courageous as well that also looked really good and i must admit evan courageous hit a beautiful 450 at one point during the match as well i overall i quite quite enjoyed it i don't really have much on the jung dragons to be perfectly honest but i thought the match was was really fun i enjoyed this a lot yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was enjoyable. I mean, again, all I can say is that they're just not ready. They're just not yet ready. They're 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 good. They've got potential. Kaz is probably just about ready. Kaz Hayashi has been around for a little bit, but the other three are not ready to be on national television. And if they, the, this is the problem. And I, I and it kind of said it continues through the through the show. But I want to give them a little bit of credit as well for it, even though they're not ready, because. This is clearly WCW trying now to build some future stars. They hadn't done it for so long. And now it, it feels like they're finally trying to shed the reputation they've got as the old boys network and bring in some young, exciting talent in the same way as WWE had done a couple of years previous to this. The difference being, of course, that WWE brought guys in that were ready and therefore were able to, to get over. Interestingly on that, the WCW reputation for being the old boys network, somebody, I think it might have been Navdeep Rahil on, t- on Twitter, mentioned the other day that ran uh, that Miz and Edge, who had a match recently on day one, are older, their combined age is older than Roddy Piper and Hogan was at Halloween Havoc 97, yeah. which was famously called the age in the cage. So That's a great bit of trivia. Yeah, brilliant. So I was just like, yeah. you know, it does show you a lot about how our perceptions are changed over time. But yeah, uh, just uh, it was a it was a fun match. It just there just there was a bit of sloppiness here and there, and of course the end was botched, which was a uh, which was a shame. So next up, backstage, we get an old timey drag type car arrive mm. at the arena, and it has Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger in it. They get excited about Goldberg being fired when they win the match later on in the night. We'll get to the stipulation later on. And they suggest that they have a plan B, which will include someone interfering to help them win. Lex Luger showing some personality (laughs) and looking like he is, I mean, probably not in the best way, to be honest, at this point, but looking like he's at least having a good time. If I didn't know what was probably going on at this point, I just said, what a lovely thing to see. And Buff Bagwell, who's not going to have a good time with Buff? Well, that, that was going to be my point as well. And But I did think to myself, I was like, fucking hell, Luger looks old. And I couldn't figure out what what or who he looked like. But I'll come back to that later. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely. Tease, so then we get Mike Sanders come to the ring and he takes the microphone and he says that the cat is going to tell the fans in a minute when he comes out that he is for WCW getting back on its feet. He says, however, that he himself is in it for the money. Sanders says that if he wins, he gets the services of Miss Jones. And if the cat wins, the cat will become commissioner again. Then when the cat comes out, there are a lot of somebody call my mama signs. And then um, Ernest Miller speaks and says that he will win the commissionership tonight for all the people out there and says when he's done, he's going to get rid of trash like Sanders. And he's going to take WCW back to the top. 
back to the top. I I always dislike any TNAs to do this all the time, and WSW have done it many times as well. I hate it when they reference the fact that they haven't been doing good business lately. Yeah. I just think it's so counterproductive. It's like, mm-hmm. so what you're saying is that what we've just watched for the last six months has been utter shit, and you're now telling us that. <laughs> Why would you tell anyone that? It's just stupid. It's, it's fucking nonsense, isn't it? Absolute nonsense. Um, so that precedes Mike Sanders versus the Cat with the commissionership on the line. And uh, Ernest Miller wins this one after just under six minutes when he hits Sanders with a with a kick. Now, what happens is obviously uh, we get the chronic interference that we were expecting. So Mike Sanders uh, is part of a faction called the Natural Born Thrillers and includes a lot of the younger guys within the company. Um, a couple of them come down to try and help Mike Sanders win the match. But then Chronic arrive and beat them up, basically destroy them and allowing the cat to get the victory in the ring and apparently win back the commissionership. I'm glad to see a proper heel face dynamic in this match. They lay it out early. They lay it out well. I enjoyed Mike Sanders' promo. I enjoyed the Cats' promo slightly less for basically the reason that you've just said, Tinky, and that it kind of shits on what they've begun before. Um, the finisher hit by Ernest is called the Feliner, which I absolutely fucking loved. I'd be <laughs> grinning from ear to ear, and I was delighted with myself. And you've got Adam Bomb as well down there. But the shenanigans are so crap and feel so unnecessary so what i would have liked i wanted the cat to get a clean just a clean victory you can have like some people come down but then you want uh want adam bomb to do his thing early you want him to get him out lovely old job and then just leave it be because it really took away from the match but it didn't take away from this week's tyrant faxton of the week michael saunders was born on July 20th, 1969, which was the day of the Apollo 11 moon landing. And in honour of this fine day, his full name is Michael Edwin Neil Sanders, after the three astronauts, Michael Collins, Edwin Buzz Aldrin, and Neil Armstrong. Tyron Faxton of the week. That's a good one. <laughs> go on lovely wikipedia stuff. lovely stuff tom did you want to talk about this match at all so i'll be honest i've been busy trying to do something on photoshop which you, you will reap the benefits of in a minute um well cat's got a great waistcoat the, a waistcoat that his namesake from red dwarf would be proud of wearing i think we can all agree on i just i, I thought this was a bit shit if i'm being honest i thought it was really rubbish the biggest thing i've got to take away is at the end of it they show a slow motion replay of the money being stuffed into sanders's mouth and it looks really unpleasant it does. <laughs> I wouldn't like to do because there's loads of it. They, they, I think they've used shoot money. I think that's working money. I think that's shoot money, <laughs> and I reckon it looks really, really horrible. And who knows how whose grubby little mitts have been on there? I don't think this is a very good match. Uh, but thankfully, it's short, and we don't have to worry about it too much. Again, Mike Sanders not ready. Ernest Miller is someone that I can't figure out. He's very popular here. The fans are going mad for him. As I said, there's five or six signs that say somebody called my mama. He's obviously one of the more popular men on the roster. But he doesn't ever seem to, his matches seem to last three minutes at a time. Um, he's from Indianapolis as well. That helps. Do you, and there was no bumming in this? No. No, so, that's, that's that's Norman Custard, wasn't it? So, do you know what? Can you imagine my disappointment when I realised this wasn't Henry Custard? <laughs> I was getting confused. So for anyone not, not, not up to date with everything, Norman Smiley is the person we're talking about there. <laughs> 
So backstage next up, Flair is with Bill Goldberg. And once again, no idea what they're talking about because <laughs> the sound quality is terrible. They are watching a replay of Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger's <laughs> arrival at the building. Goodness knows how or why, but that's what's happening. We can, as I said, we can barely hear what they're saying, but they are talking in some way about Flair suggesting that he's going to try and help Goldberg with Bagwell and Luger by making it a no disqualification match later on the tag team contest. Then Flair introduces Goldberg to a fan. You need to pay attention to this because this is also part of the plot. Uh, Goldberg signs something for the fan and then uh, takes a picture, has a picture taken with him. And that's the end of the backstage segment. But that will come into play later on. I, we also get my MVP in this section, which oh, is the, can I guess what which, it is? Is, which is the yeah. Go on then. It is the man who takes the photograph of the fan sweater. It is. <laughs> it is fantastic. It's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's just a classic jumper. 2001. This is. <laughs> like, this this is a mid 90s jumper. I say early 90s. Yeah. Late late 80s, early 90s jumper. You know what, fair fucking play to him though. He's looking pretty sexy that guy. So. <laughs> I, I I was just like, why are they watching a replay of it? Is there like a massive delay on the broadcast and it's only just coming up there at that point in them? Or has someone taped it? Yeah. <laughs> I know from like, guys, you gotta watch this. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta watch the way you get out of this car, it's amazing. What? <laughs> no. That's it. Nothing of new happens. They no. get out of the car and they're having a laugh. And then they're like, we're going to end Bill Goldberg's career. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, please. <laughs> Weren't they wrong 20 years later? Mm. Then we get backstage Gene in Oakland with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he asks Jeff Jarrett if he'll turn on Steiner during the match later on. Jarrett calls Oakland a Jurassic slap nut. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says he's not going to turn on Steiner, but who cares about that? He's just called Gene Oakland a Jurassic <laughs> slap nut. There's, there's no need for anything else after you've done that, Jarrett. And the team looks genuinely affronted. Well, I mean, Gene, it's amazing. So then we get all the stuff with Team Canada and the Filthy Animals, which he's spoken about. There's something between that and the next match, which is... Uh, a backstage bit with Mike Tanay, but I won't go on to that until Tom has spoken because he's waving his hand uh, aggressively at me. This is what I've been working on now. This is what I've been working on for the last 10 minutes, which is why I wasn't paying attention during the last match. Mike Tanay is interviewing Mike Sanders and yep. the rest of that group, and they look like they're about to drop the illest new metal album of 2001. <laughs> and I tell you, if you go onto your phone, I'll post this on our, on our Instagram. If you look at the picture I've just sent you in the group chat, I've just assigned roles within the band. So you're going to have to tell me who these people are, because I don't know who most of them are, Tinky, and go through them. So Sean O'Hare is on bass. You've got Reno, I think, on drums. Mike Sanders is on vocals. Mark Jindrak is the DJ. <laughs> Sean Stasiak is the rhythm guitar and Chuck Palumbo lead guitar. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> that is 100% how that band lines up, big time. What's Mike Tanay's role in this? Mike Tanay's role is sad-looking interviewer. <laughs> He's the guy who works for NME, a, a reputable music magazine, trying to get an interview out of this cunt metal band. They, they are about to drop the fucking new metal album of the year, aren't they? There's going to be some screaming. There's going to be some awful things happening at their live shows. God knows what else is going to go on with this mucky lot. Oh, new metal. They've got to have a DJ. They have to have a DJ to be a new metal band. <laughs> 
So the point so the point of this interview is that Sanders um, introduces the fact that Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo will be the two men who will face the insiders for the tag team title later on in the show. And during the um, promo, O'Hare says people think he should be in jail and he thinks they are right. (laughs) That's what he says. Interestingly, all four of the wrestlers. No, um. Yeah, all four of the wrestlers go to WWE. Yes. Reno does, but he only goes to developmental and then gets released. There's not just four. All six of them, I think, do. I think because you've got there's six guys in the picture. Is there? (laughs) I can't keep up. I literally (laughs) just looked at it as well. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got Reno and Mike Sanders. Oh, did Mike Sanders go? Oh, Colonel. Yeah, Uh, yeah, again, he didn't make it to the main roster. Uh, Chuck Palumbo, obviously, and Sean Stasiak went back with him. And Mark Jindrak, almost part of Evolution, if the story is to be true and to be heard. And Sean O'Hare, who teamed with Roddy Piper for a bit. Mm -hmm. A weird duo. If Mark Jindrak had been included, Evolution really would have been a mystery. Mm. Unfortunately for DDP and Kevin Nash, they missed this uh, budding new new metal band because they're warming up backstage and not paying attention to the TV screen whilst Mike Sanders is talking. <laughs> it's just, it's just talk about backstage segments where nothing happens. It just comes back to them and they're just stretching. <laughs> And the commentators say, oh, they obviously are worried about what's going on. They're just stretching. What the fuck is going on? So then we get the hardcore championship match, which we've spoken about already. And then we go backstage with the cat and Miss Jones, who speak to Ric Flair. Who, who Tinky? Uh, <laughs> why don't you do it? You're much better. The cat. Miss Jones! <laughs> Flair is very happy and tells the cat that he can take the rest of the night off. So this is where I wanted to just bring up one other thing, which is this is now we have hit, 2001 is when we've hit prime. We have to have 400,000 authority figures on every television show ever. So we already have Ric Flair as a CEO. We know that in real life, Eric Bischoff is about to head a consortium that's going to buy the company. Um, And we know that the WCW on screen are acknowledging that fact because they're talking about this being a new era. And we know that the cat is the commissioner of the company. What the fuck is going on? Why do you need a commissioner and a CEO? What the hell? Well, you need what is now going to be one heel and one face. Well, yes, of course. But still. I mean, it's stupid, isn't it? I mean, you know what? As well, it's stupid. Is that Ric Flair's trying to get the cat to have some caviar? Have you ever known a cat to eat any caviar? Would Goldie eat caviar? No, but I don't think he'd also eat collard greens either, which is what cat says. The cat says. Yeah. So I don't even know what collard greens are. Anybody want to get uh, it? It is a broccoli broccoli with a necklace. Broccoli with a necklace. So basically, what you're saying is once again that the cat is not living his gimmick. No, he's not. He should have said, no, thank you. I'll have, I'll have a lovely pack of Felix. <laughs> so next up, Gene Oakland is backstage with Sid. And Sid says nothing would make him happier than seeing Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett run scared like little children. He then says he will chokeslam everyone through the ring and end the night WCW champion. Oh, and then his fucking, he's got his fucking stupid out on his, on his pot noodle there. <laughs> he's rocking some double denim. And he cuts a decent promo. You know what? I'll if take the, this. If there's one thing Sid can do, is, yeah. is cut a promo. I mean, I'm not saying he's amazing, but if 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 he can do anything, that is the thing that he can do. And I, I've always had a little soft spot for Sid just because of that that the way he plays the gimmick, and I think it is just him. He's just a nutter. 
but um, he plays it very well. I, I love how much he's into his game, even though he is not a good promo. The intensity in which he delivers it and the, the, how, the amount he believes it always makes me enjoy them. Incidentally, our collard greens are spring greens. Uh, what are spring greens? Like a cabbage sort of thing. A cabbage? What? He, he, that's all he wants? I mean, I wouldn't take caviar, but he just wants some cabbage. So we then get a video package showing a tag team battle royal where the natural born killers or four of the natural born killers are the final four. Four thrillers. Yes, yeah, so the natural born thrillers, not the natural born killers. <laughs> the natural born thrillers are the final four. And from that four, they can apparently choose any of the four to face the insiders for the WCW tag team titles. The insiders, it should be noted, as we've said earlier on, is Kevin Nash and DDP. And they defend their tag team titles here against the natural born thrillers in an 11 minute match. Can I just add a quick note on these little promo videos? I enjoy how short and to the point they are. When they did the first one, I was like, oh, bloody heck, that was a bit short. And then it's obviously what they did. I kind of appreciate it because it felt different to what obviously WWE do and were doing at the time where they're kind of laying out the story over three or four minutes. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not very good. I just didn't get much of a sense of what the story was. That's the problem. There isn't one. (laughs) I find them a little bit too chaotic my liking mm. i was like i don't really know what, what what what's happened all i know is that they've had some kind of altercation but i don't know why or how or the context behind it it's just it's, happened it's actually kind of feeds into a little bit why i've gone off of aew recently a little bit which is that these promos rem- uh, sorry these promo videos reminded me of how all the storylines at the moment in aew or at least most of them just seem to sprout out of nothing and end very quickly and don't there's no organic tying of a storyline to the next storyline to the next storyline and that's what this all felt like it all felt like generic feud generic feud now we have the match you know give me something more interesting you telling me that alistair black coming out of nowhere and attacking the varsity bonds is has come from nowhere (laughs) that's what these felt to me was like oh here's a generic feud now these two people will wrestle (laughs) this one's obviously just so that ddp and kevin nash are on the card perhaps that's what the video should have been should have just been them stretching and then a voiceover going, we need to get these guys on the card. Let's have a tag team battle royal. So this match ends when DDP hits a tombstone on Palumbo after he reverses a Palumbo attempt at a tombstone. Nash then makes the hot tag and side slams both men. Then Sean Stasiak runs down to the ring. Luger comes in from the other side as the referee is distracted. Meanwhile, Nash hits a jackknife powerbomb on palumbo ddp then goes after luger through the crowd nash goes for a jackknife on uh palumbo again but bagwell appears and hits nash with a wrench sean o'hare then hits a swanton bomb from the top rope and gets the pin and o'hare and uh palumbo are our new tag team champions oh man let's go up for tinky there yeah well done lad that was a fucking beautiful yeah, that looked like the kind of facial expression I made when I was passing my movement on Boxing Day. Yeah. You, you, look, you look like me trying to figure out a tip at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's easy, isn't it? Nothing. Well, exactly. It's come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as all the insiders come out to the ring, my God, Kevin Nash looks fed up. Yeah. So miserable. Don't want to be there. Don't want to be there. And then when he gets the... He's sat there on the on the ring apron... And he's just that. He's that. That he's got two days off, 
after this, I reckon. And he's sat there going, oh, God, I don't want to fucking be here. I don't want to fucking be here. At least I've got two days off tomorrow. And when he gets tagged in, he's like, fuck, I'm moving the lawn tomorrow. That's what he's thinking. He's like, oh, fuck, so I'm moving the fucking lawn tomorrow. He is so fucking shit. But I tell you what, right, old DDP always works hard, and I always enjoy him, and he does his best to, to carry the match from that side. I was thoroughly impressed, impressed by old Chucky in there and Shawnee Hair because... There's a couple of really, really impressive kind of athletic spots from there. Like, there's a spot where O'Hare does the old Daniel Bryan run up the turnbuckle and flip over his opponent. And that opponent at the time is Kevin Nash. And he's massive. And so is so Sean O'Hare. Both of them are fucking huge. One thing you did miss at the beginning is that the old, uh, old Kamish, the old Kamish comes out. Oh, yeah. Oh, what's the name? Um, and then who he starts trying to say something. Then Ric Flair comes out. And decides who DDP and Nash will wrestle out of the natural blood thrillers. And then if the rest of the band hang out at ringside, they'll be fined and suspended. Flair didn't decide who was going to fight them. They'd already decided. Right. But Flair just reiterated who they decided and told the others to go backstage. Mm. But yeah, overall, the, the thrillers are impressive them athletically. And the thing that you failed to mention is that Buff Bagwell comes in again in a janitor's outfit and a mask. Yeah. We've seen him dress up like a president or Vincent Mann, whoever it was. He's the master of disguise. <laughs> a guy. A guy. Incredible stuff. Well, wait, you give it away too easily when you come down in that top hat every time. So, you know, he's like, it's happily. Chuck and Sean have got incredible music. Like, it is proper get your glow sticks out, a little pumping beat going on. And then you've got Nash, 2001, tassels on his leather trousers. And DDP. You know, I do like a bit of DDP, is wearing, like, velour trousers. Mm. I'm like, what's fucking happened here, boys? You've let yourselves go. I've said this, and I'll say it again. Every fucking tag match, standard tag team fair. Because all those good tag team matches that we watched have ruined them for me. <laughs> ruined these generic, bloody cookie-cutter tag team matches. And the finish is just overbooked bollocks, isn't it? It's overbooked at the start, overbooked at the end. There's a generic sandwich in the middle. It's kind of like a sandwich where you've got white bread, horrible, but it's just on the turn. So you don't really want to touch it. And in the middle, you've got the most generic filling that you could have. And you don't want any of it. The thing that I did enjoy, though, I mean, Tom's covered the uh, very impressive moves, is uh, older Sean O'Hare does a proper arrogant cover on Kevin Nash at the end, which I very much appreciated because uh, I imagine that's the kind of thing that Kevin Nash would probably murder you for if he didn't want you to do it. But like Tommy said, he's probably too busy thinking about cutting that lawn. Do you reckon he has to do it with scissors? Oh, well, again, you need to get into the, the little bits. His, his strimmer's broken. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's realised, remember that his strimmer's broken. And he's got to get on his hands and knees. And that's quite a far away down for such a big lad like him. Well, he's apparently six foot 11 and... Uh, Sean O'Hare is six foot five, I think he says. I don't think he's six foot eleven. That, that's that's a combination of over twelve feet that Sean O'Hare's done. <laughs> if Matt Stryker will be on commentary for that, he's not six foot eleven, is he? Because DDP's like six four, I think. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Don't don't get don't don't get tied up in wrestling heights. That's that's not. <laughs> I had to because this was crap. I had to think <laughs> about something, and it was either that or Kevin Nash moment is long. So I think everyone thought Sean O'Hare was going to be a big star at one point, just simply because he had both the look, the size, and was also very athletic. Just didn't turn out. I don't know what happened. I guess he just, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him. But again, I would argue one more time, 
that they shouldn't be on the show that Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo are not yet ready to to go there so they should and maybe they're ready to be in WWE's main roster but they're not ready to be tag team champions they're not ready to carry the tag team division at this point in their careers it's okay but the the end is really really uh, messy overbooked and this is also now part of what we talked about earlier on Ric Flair's grand master plan so in addition to uh, the fact that he's you know, teaming with Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett. He's also kind of friends now with the natural born thrillers, but we don't know that at this point, but it gets revealed the next night. Just reading out, Sean O'Hare, I remember reading this a few weeks ago, uh, he committed suicide in 2014, mm. which is very, well, as another, another person who struggled with substance abuse and depression, it's, unfortunately. Isn't um, Chuck Palumbo dead as well? Uh, no, he's very much alive. Well in time. <laughs> Good, good news. It's good news all round. Yeah! Let's move on quickly. So then we get Mike Tanay backstage with the Natural Born Thrillers again. Um, Sanders said that they didn't ask Buff Bagwell to interfere and that it's not their fault that the insiders can't watch their own backs. They also, they also said, thank you for a great show in Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> then we see backstage, Flair is shown getting into his limo and says it's time as he goes off and drives off to go get presumably the mystery opponent and then there's a video package hyping our united states title match between shane douglas and general rection just a quick note on flat so i completely missed all of that stuff because i haven't got any notes does rick flair say it's time to anyone no, he or just does he it. just shout it just shouts it into the night as he's getting into the car <laughs> lovely it's time Woo! <laughs> pretty much that's pretty much how it goes the face on tom when i talked about the fact that we're going to get shane douglas and general erection next is was something to behold i'm i'm so, I'm so sad that this isn't a visual um show of some kind i fucking hate shane douglas he's such a cunt oh it does my head in. I, just, I don't know why this is something about him i just inherently dislike as a person scumbag that's what my that's what that face was about so when he comes down for his match, he does a promo in ring and he lets everyone to the chain that's hanging above the ring. So this is this United mm-hmm. States title match is a first blood chain match uh, between Rection and Douglas. It's 11 and a half minutes long and it ends when Rection manages to get the chain by climbing a ladder um, to, to reach it. But Douglas then pushes the ladder and whilst also whilst it takes down Rection, it also takes over the referee. Douglas then fishes into his boot to get another chain and then he hits Rection with it. Um, and then Rection is busted open, which gives Douglas the win and he becomes the new United States champion. Oh, man. Shane Douglas, Dean Douglas, as I like to know him, uh, he cuts his promo. Then at the end, he says, come get your franchise. Uh, really know what that means. Then I thought maybe he's advertising a little subway. So I don't have many notes on the actual match. I know that Dougie Douglas puts on the worst figure four I've ever seen in my life. He kind of like hooks the leg in the kind of the four, but then his leg that should wrap around, he just kind of places his foot on it. There's no pain. There's no pain at all. Uh, The chain is far too high. The chain is far too high and the chain is flimsy the whole thing is this is a chain match right surely it's got to be worth the climb so it's a chain first blood match make it look impressive don't make it look like something that you would wrap around your dog's neck with the match they are working hard but 
pretty fucking annoying because they put on some holds and they last too long. The commentators, to their credit, try to cover it by being like, oh, yeah, well, if you incapacitate your opponent, it's easier to hit and make them bleed. I kind of appreciated that. But there's a thing at the start where Dog Dean Douglas has a chain down his pants and the referee finds it and he takes it off him. He's not very happy about it, but it's a no DQ match. I think you're fine, mate. It's not, it's not in the spirit of the match. Absolute bollocks. Because it just doesn't... There's no logic to the officiating. <laughs> Trying to stop people using chains because they're not changed. There's also... There's rope counts as well. There's a couple of rope counts. And there's like, it's no DQ, mate. It's fucking shit. It's shit and it annoyed me. It's always nice to see old man getting on his high horse about officiating again. It's terrible, Tinky. Who are these people? <laughs> Going back to what you said, old man, about the commentary as well. In the, the beginning of the match, they constantly talk about how to draw blood and how saying some of the shit, sh- how shit and pointless a lot of the moves are. They're like, well, why yeah. would you do an arm drag in this match? You're like, all right, mate. Fucking <laughs> hell, it's undermining everything these lads are doing in the ring. But it's never explained that you have to climb up the ladder to get the ring. No. Uh, to, get the, to get the chain. Yeah. Um, and the only time the ladder comes into play is when he gets the chain. There's yeah. no, no point. Uh, are there any, is that is even mentioned that they could use a ladder, that they've got access to ladders, that there are ladders, or even a possibility. And I'm at the same time, I'm thinking, similar to like I wasn't back the hardcore match earlier, I'm thinking, think of the ladder match that we get served up in a couple of months' time at WrestleMania 17. And think of this. Well, fucking the best thing about this entire thing was fucking general erections, fucking knee braces. Well, you know what? That's the thing. The, the commentators themselves at one point suggest that when General Erection or Hugh Morris, whatever you want to call him, t- climbs the top turnbuckle in a moonsault position, that he's going to dive from there and grab the chain. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, that would be the most impressive athletic feat I think I've ever seen anywhere on any platform of any kind. <laughs> we'd have done that. So, yeah, it doesn't seem that they're particularly clear. The fact that you need a ladder to reach the chain means that this is not just a first blood chain match. It's a first blood ladder chain match. <laughs> mm. And uh, yeah, it's um, it, that's not made very clear at all. But apart from all that and the fact that the referee, as you said, is counting stuff when this is no disqualification because it's first blood. I didn't mind this match. And the reason I didn't mind it is because I actually was really quite thankful for the change of pace. So all the way through the show, I felt like we've had good athletic young wrestlers that are not ready for the sh- for this kind of stage. Here, Shane Douglas has come along and just slowed everything down and just put on a normal match. They're still saddled with a poor gimmick and they've still got some bad officiating and all that stuff, but it's it's just a better pace. It's just a more accomplished pace, and I really needed it to the point where I liked a Shane Douglas match, which I can't believe either. But I did quite like this. I, yeah, no, I didn't like this match. There's a couple of really shit things in it as well. First of all, old man mentioned tassels just now about Kevin Nash. All the, there's some tassels around Shane Douglas's boots, which again, you didn't see much in 2001. Tassels around boots. And they're usually on baby faces as well. I'm thinking the Texas Tornado, the Warrior, the British Bulldog. I don't often see the old leg, the boot tassels on the, on a heel. And the, the ladder bump that takes out the ref um, that Hugh Morris takes, or sorry, general erection, takes um it's so telegraphed because the referee just walks along and just stands next to the ladder a <laughs> <laughs> fucking copper knob takes a ladder right in the face doesn't he <laughs> yeah i just i just like that it was a more reserved pace it wasn't rushed and i felt like everything else on the show had been rushed even the best stuff 
even the Chavo Shane Helms match, I thought were, at, at times had been rushed. And this was just taking the pace down to something, you know, just a little bit more leisurely, which I thought was a good, it needed that. This show needed it. Well, you said that all the other matches had young athletic guys in it. Luckily, that's not <laughs> a good problem in the next match, is it? <laughs> on the pace of the matches and that i agree with you at this point in the show i'll be honest boys i was uh i was having a tough old time mm, interesting i was considering life choices at this point i think well my well my my point period of that was the penalty box match and the hardcore match mm. because we'd seen th- the start of the show had three busy fast-paced bit messy matches then we'd seen the Ernest miller mike sanders match which was poor then we'd seen what i expected to be the best match of the night the six-man tag match but the penalty box gimmick was just ruined it and then we had that awful hardcore match and so i was going through it then and the tag team championship match wasn't much better because they had that really busy finish. Then this came along and it just it just settled me down a bit. And that's why I kind of I, I don't know why. It just it was what I needed at this point in time, even though ordinarily I'd have been like fucking hell. Like, I'm not interested in this at all. It's because you love Shane Douglas. Obviously, that's that is yeah. obviously what it is. So before um, the final match we got to cover, we did have a backstage segment with Scott Steiner and Medeja with Gene Oakland. Steiner says that the only one he trusts are his freaks. Unfortunately, he didn't have one on the left, one on the right, and one in the box this week. Yeah, but, he did, but he did say, the only thing I trust are my freaks, and then he flexed his bicep and went, and my peaks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then get a bit of a general erection backstage, angry about losing. Corporal Cajun and someone else who I don't actually know who it was tried to console him, but uh, he's, he's not having any of it. Then we get the video package hyping Goldberg and Sarge versus Totally Buff. So in the, that video package, it shows Buff Bagwell turning on Goldberg. Why did he trust him? That's all oh. Buff Bagwell does to turn on people, turn on baby faces. Why did he trust him? What a fucking moron. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if Bagwell's made a career of it, then he must also be very good at getting them to trust him. Very convincing. Yeah. Do you reckon he buys nice gifts? <laughs> <laughs> he probably gives them all one of those lovely top hats. That's probably uh, probably or ways. one of those pennants. Oh yeah, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, what I should mention here is that some time ago, not sure who what it was that wrote the stipulation, but somebody's written the stipulation in the long term, which is that Goldberg has to win as many matches as he did during his original streak in order to get another WSW title shot. If he loses one of those matches, he will be banned from WSW for life. So that's effectively yes. a continuous uh, stipulation that, Gold, that Goldberg's career has got at this point in time. Oh, he's banned. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's still he's still on the payroll. He's just banned <laughs> from turning up to events. That's right. Um, I think it might have been a Vince Russo thing, but I don't know for certain, so I don't want to. But assume that it was. Yeah, why not? The matches Goldberg and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, D Wayne Bruce, Sarge, whatever you want to call him, Cockface, uh, Cockface, or as I've called him, Brock Lesnar's dad, and um, <laughs> they're against totally buffed, which is Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger. Uh, this one goes for, again, about 12 minutes and ends with another creative finish, shall we say. So outside of the ring, Lex Luger gets into a confrontation with the fan that we saw earlier on, uh, who Goldberg signed something for and took a picture with. Uh, Goldberg pushes Luger over, but then the fan sprays what we are told is mace in Goldberg's eyes and then Goldberg gets back into the ring and Luger and uh, Bagwell then go to work um they double team him and then 
Luger hits Goldberg with a steel chair twice. Then they hit a blockbuster device, is what I've called it. Buff, buff, buff blockbuster off of Luger's shoulders and Luger pins Goldberg. We then get sad fans and sad commentators. Yes, very sad goatee wearing young men, I never noticed. Um, In the earlier segment between Ric Flair and Goldberg, he said, I'm going to make a no DQ match for you. Yeah. Which begs the question, why did no one have fucking chairs in the first place? Idiots. And the referee is stopping people getting in the ring. (laughs) He's doing brute breaks. Tom, what have you done? You've got him set off again. It's just, it's so poor. It's so poor. There's no logic, is there? No, and that's it. Like you've spoken about this before, Tingy. How uh, they think we're fucking stupid. Yeah. What they need to realise is that twenty-one years later, a bold pedant is going to be bloody watching this, and they haven't thought about that. <laughs> it's not pedantic though. This is the basics. This uh... is the stuff that should be easy to get right, and not only that, but undercuts everything you do because you know yeah. now that just because someone says there's no disqualification match don't mean anyone's going to do anything illegal because you've previously shown that that's not the case. So yeah, I I think um I think you're absolutely right to be unhappy about it. What did you think of the match itself? Not very good. It's difficult because Sarge, as much as I don't like him for what he did to Louis Theroux mm. on that weird weekend. He puts a good old shift in, and he's he's playing the face that's getting beaten up in the standard fair tag team match. I don't know on Luger, he is fucking enormous, horrendously large. Like He looks like a heart attack waiting to happen. It's at this point where I realised who Luger reminded me of. He reminded me of Mr. Idafall, Paul Orndorff, at Bash at the Beach 95 because he looks massive and mm. really old as yeah. well. And he is and he is unnaturally large. He was obviously always really muscly before, but he was always kind of like lean as well. And it sounds like a weird thing, especially during like the ninety like the early nineties, he was quite lean and muscular. This one he just looks abnormally massive and it's all like his shoulder muscles and is is they're so big that he's almost like hunched forward. I mean, it's more overbooked bollocks, isn't it? So you've got the mate, you've got Sarge, you've got no DQ, you've got sad fans, naughty fan with the mace. And before that, it just wasn't very good, even with Buff. But I don't know what Luger, I know I said he looked massive. He at least looks like he's having a decent time in this match. <laughs> <laughs> at least he looks like he's having a decent time. But apart from the officiating, this really took the biscuit, you know Buff Bagwell, who's one of the be- one of the best to ever wear a goatee in a wrestling ring <laughs> and a top hat, and to wear numerous disguises to interfere in matches, he puts on a chin hold on Sarge. Now, what would normally happen is like the out- points of the elbows would go into the shoulders and you'd wrench back. He's literally just holding his chin. <laughs> he's just holding his chin like he's trying to stop it falling off, <laughs> like uh, like Adam Baldwin, uh, Alec Baldwin does in Beetlejuice. When he tries to say Beetlejuice and his jaw falls off, it looks like that. But no, this crap, bad officiating, bad match. I was glad it was over. And this is like, I've had enough at this point. (laughs) I'm I'm beyond saving at this point, to be honest. You've had enough at this point and you've still got the hideous, vicious leg break to come. (laughs) Well, that's it. But at least I didn't know that was coming. And I was still at this point. I'm like, maybe it will be someone big who comes back. Mm. Like, who's the mystery guy? Maybe it may Oh, oh my god it could be virtual but <laughs> to be not. honest it wouldn't be any less disappointing no it, wouldn't. it really wouldn't 
I, I don't know why, but again, I, I quite liked it. I quite like this. I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, I, I can't imagine ever liking a Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell tag team match. I can't stand Dwayne Bruce, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, or Sarge, or whatever you want to call him, because exactly what he said about Lutherez. Luther. Uh, Luther- <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Luther is now Luthez, and, and, the other, and they're also vice versa. So... Lutheru had an amazing wrestling career, and Luthez is a an investigative journalist who does interviews Lovely. with strange people. Um, well, I suppose he does work for the press. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. That's good. That's good work. Um, but I, I mean, first of all, I, I have come to appreciate Goldberg's work a little bit over the last few times I've seen him. I think some of his stuff in WWE is actually quite good, and I think his stuff looks pretty impactful. And I think they do they never give him much to do. They kind of limit what he's got to do in, in every situation. And he does that pretty well. And I just thought that the fans care. They want Goldberg to win. They're in this. this is, there is a, an emotion there. And I thought it was all right. You know, it wasn't great, but they kept it simple. They kept it short. It was done. And it would not have gotten to a recommended matches list or anything. But had the main event then delivered in a big way... I'd be saying this this show, for me, ended relatively strong because the two matches before it were all right. Do you think that you have grown a great appreci- appreciation of Goldberg's WCW work because you've seen some of the absolute toilet that's been served up in his return to WWE? Well, maybe. I mean, I haven't seen much of Goldberg's in his return to WWE, and what I have seen has been perfectly fine as well. I mean, they've been very short matches, like three, four minutes at a time. I saw, obviously, his first match with Goldberg, uh, sorry, with Lesnar, and his WrestleMania match with Lesnar, and I saw the match last year at Royal Rumble with Drew McIntyre, and they were fine. I mean, they weren't they weren't masterpieces by any stretch of imagination, but they have limited him to very little. So I haven't hated the stuff he's done, really. I mean, I'm sure if I'd have seen the Undertaker match, I might feel differently, but I haven't, so. This match, I'm kind of four somewhere in between. I didn't hate it, but I didn't think it was particularly good. I just, I fucking love Buff Bagwell. He's amazing. <laughs> I love Buff Bagwell. Again, it, all it takes is for someone to be clearly into their character. I, you see, like, some wrestlers, and you think to yourself, that is exactly who he is in real life. Yeah. And I've got no doubt in my mind it is. I know you've actually had the honour of uh, interviewing the great man, Tinky. Yeah. Um, and I can remember watching that interview and seeing him there in his amazing hat and sunglasses and being like, this guy's just a lad. Absolutely lad. I, he, um, he definitely came across as far more likeable than I ever imagined he would come across. He was a genuinely he seemed really nice when I when I spoke to him. And that Sarge, is it five foot six? Muggy little cunt. Brock Lesnar's dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I thought it was all right. It was OK. The ending was shit. But again, I didn't mind it. You know, it's going to be a pretty rough match when a lot of the beginning, the heavy lifting at the beginning is done by Goldberg. But I wasn't expecting much from this match either. So, yeah, it, at, the, at the worst thing I could possibly say is that it met my expectations. Well, all we've got after this, which isn't the main event, which we've already spoken about, is the camera on the commentators with Shavoni looking crestfallen at the <laughs> end of Goldberg's <laughs> career. And then Sarge and the referees trying to revive Goldberg by pouring copious amounts of water over him. They're basically waterboarding him at the end of this with the amount of water they're throwing on him. And that is that is everything. We've covered everything on the show. So it's time for our overall thoughts on our rating out of 10. Um, Tom, did you give your MVP? I've forgotten. Uh, no, I didn't. Nor did I, I just realised. My MVP is obviously 
Miss Jones, Miss Jones, <laughs> for being on the show and allowing me to do that. Yeah, and my MVP is Shane Douglas <laughs> because I just, I just really appreciated his 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 attempts to slow everything down. It felt a bit like he was going out there and going, look, this guys, this is how you do it. All right, you don't need to go mad for. 10 minutes you can just calm everything down and everything will mean just a little bit more so that was my reason for him being my mvp so our overall thoughts and out of uh, quite a 10 i'll go first if you want my rating out of 10 is a three because i think that there are the two matches before the main event i think were okay the opener was the best match of the night for me there were some other decent matches uh early on in the show the the tag team match with the young dragons and uh jamie noble and evan courageous was relatively fun as i say though everything just had this kind of just rushed hectic feel to it where nobody seemed to know exactly what they were trying to do and so that's why i just appreciated so much when we got to the matches where we had more experienced professionals even if they were at the lower end of the kind of experienced professionals i'm looking to watch but the main event is just hideous it's a terrible match it's got a terrible surprise, the Road Warrior Animal thing. It's as underwhelming as Savio Vega at uh, No Air of Texas in 1998. It's, <laughs> it's up there as an underwhelming surprise. This is a main event of a pay-per-view in 2001 for the WCW world title, and Road Warrior Animal is the surprise entrant to the match. And obviously then it's got the hideous leg break, and the way WCW handled that hideous leg break, you just can't do that. It's just fucking terrible. And it ends the show on an extremely low note. And on top of all that, we don't even get Ric Flair's explanation for why everything happened because of the Sid Vicious leg break and the fact that they hadn't responded well to it. So not good, but a, a, a three for me. So I'm going to also give this a three just because I just found it incredibly dull. I think what you said, it hadn't really occurred to me, Tingy, but up until the um, the chain match, everything is just very hectic and very, very, uh, I don't really know what's going on, like... I don't really want it. The officiating's awful. They almost lose a point for the officiating, <laughs> to be honest. But the shows that I've given a two recently, it's not as bad as that because they're offensively bad. But yeah, this just isn't very good, is it? I think that is basically the top and bottom of it. And you know what? This WCW, if they're not careful, they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> they don't bat their ideas up. I'm giving this a four. No. It's- not well, four skin out of ten. Yeah, exactly. So out of, I, was, I was never bored during this. There was there was there, it was crap at times. There were some decent matches. It was entertaining. But what I think struck me most about it all was that it was like a a real time capsule. I said, like I was joking about the about the old um the the new metal band and stuff like that. But it, it felt properly like a time and place in the world that I was. You know, I guess because I'm quite formative years for me, I guess, you know, in that in that time in 2001. So I would have been, what, 17? I, I don't know. I just watched it. And even though I wouldn't have watched this at the time, I, I think I've said this before, I was new, but feeling nostalgic at the same time. And it kind of took me took me to a place when I was watching it, which I which I quite enjoyed. So I um yeah, I'm giving this one giving this one a four. Yeah, I, I think that I never I got to say I was never bored during the show. I don't know how much of that, though, was me just dreading what was coming at the end. So everything that was delaying me getting to the end was actually more enjoyable. I was like, can we lop another five minutes onto this Goldberg match, please, so that I don't have to get to the Sid Vicious yeah. leg break? I think you're right, though, Tommy. So it is a real kind of point in time. You're really looking at a moment, starting right from the beginning when you see Shane Helms and his 
kind of day glow green baggy jeans <laughs> like it feels instantly like you're being transported to a specific time and place which is uh it's a good point i suppose it is history as well being wcw's last ever pay-per-view <laughs> true so that is everything for today as i said we're not uh, we haven't got the game uh at the moment we may we may bring it back on special occasions but uh not at the moment so i, I all that's left to me to do is to uh say thank you to old matt for joining me today thank you very much i'm hoping for another pet shop boys song pay-per-view in the future <laughs> i'm not sure if west end girls will be uh will be anywhere but uh we won't we can worry about that another time all you need to do is just remember ken patera and tom thank you for joining us today no, thank you very much for having me i'll be back in in a couple of weeks time and until then trick on that slap nuts This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week, but until then, take care.